Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Tuesday, February the 23rd of 2021. We'd like to welcome all of our listeners, wherever you are tuning in from. Uh, We want to welcome you to this special podcast. Today, uh, we're going to be doing something a little different. Uh, We felt uh, from the Lord to share um, a Q&A that took place, a questions and answers uh, Zoom meeting that took place with Brother Marty a few weeks ago with uh, a young man, a young brother, his name is Christian, Brother Christian Padron. And this young man has an incredible testimony of how the Lord uh, brought him out of the New Age uh, movement, the New Age community. And now he's, he is uh, ministering actually to thousands of young people that are coming out that, ha- that have questions. And Brother Fernando, we thought uh, it would be a blessing for the people to hear what God is doing and, and the avenues and the places and the doors that God is opening for us, uh, for Brother Marty, uh, to go into these uh, platforms and, and really together uh, answer some of those questions. And I was, I'm so blessed to know that there is a hunger, a hunger in, in these young generation, that there is a young generation that loves God and is searching in this hour. Right. Amen. Well, yeah, it's, it's prophecy fulfilled, right? Uh, the, the prophet Malachi said that. Um, in the last days, in the end times, that the Lord will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, lest he smite the earth with the curse. So we see a, a, a generation. I mean, think about uh, the results of years of false doctrine, years of, um, you know, corrupt preaching and corrupt preachers and corrupt pulpits. And what it's brought about is a generation that's devoid of the gospel. And what does this generation do? Because they do feel after God. They're searching for something, as the Apostle Paul said in the book of Acts, right? They feel right. after God, so they can seek him. Um, mm-hmm. they, they, they open their hearts to these Eastern religions, the New Age movement, and it's devastating uh, a lot of young mm-hmm. people because, you know, you're, you're tampering with powers of darkness. And the devil's nothing yeah. to be played with. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, Christian, Brother Christian is an uh, incredible, incredible testimony and really an evangelist to uh, the new the new age community where he seems soul saved and transformed. And um, it, it's incredible the questions they ask. And that's why I felt that uh, it was needful for the listener to, to hear what the uh, young generation of today, uh, what their questions are. Right, and, and it's incredible how how hungry they are, how they understand the the things of the spirit that pertain to the word of God, and I think a lot of that has to do because of of, of their pursuit for, for spirituality. Initially, they sought for spirituality in the wrong places, but that pursuit mm-hmm. when they when they, when they came across truth, you know, uh, brought about a true uh, salvation and 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 hunger for the things of God. Um, so it, it, it really blessed me, and I think it will bless the listener. Um, we, we converted the, the video as a Zoom meeting, Q&A Zoom meeting, and, 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 and the people are asking, uh, uh, Brother Christian's kind of asking questions of Brother Mari, and the, and the people are allowed to ask questions. It's about a three-hour-long video, which tells you, I mean, that's incredible, right? Three hours right. talking about the Word of God. <laughs> that's revival, yeah. right? That's revival. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. for for time's sake, for time's sake, we shortened the video uh, uh, 
know, so you're going to hear the audio mid-conversation. Uh, so it's about two hours long, um, but it doesn't feel like two hours, especially when, when the, the Spirit of the Lord is present and, and, and through his word. Um, you can catch the, the full uh, uh, Q&A. Uh, you can go to YouTube and uh, go to the YouTube channel of Christian Padron. Uh, his YouTube channel is called Love Already Won. And that particular uh, YouTube video is called Remnant Rising, uh, Zoom meeting with Brother Marty. Um, so it, it's, I think the people will be blessed. And, and God is moving. God is moving in all places. Amen. And he's raising up a people. He's raising up a young generation. Right? It's incredible because yeah. I don't want to take too long, but it's incredible that they see things that the church can't see. The apostate church can't see, right? People that have been in church for a long right. time, I hear testimonies of them showing up to church, and they're like, what in the world is going on in this church? This is not God. You know, and, and, and it's so incredible how the discernment and the gifts of the Spirit that, that's been developed in a lot, uh, a lot of these uh, people um, and who are newly converts, and it, it, it's, it's incredible. So it's going to bless you, um, and, and, and we pray that it does. You know, I think it's amazing as you were talking, Brother uh, Fernando, is that God is, is has brought many of them out of that, and then they're going to church and they're they're saying, you know, this is the very thing we're <laughs> I'm coming out of. It's in the church; they can see it, <laughs> right? That's so true. <laughs> the, That's so true. You know, the very thing that they're coming out of, they're seeing it right now in the modern church, you know, in the apostate church, and. But I think it's very encouraging, and, and that's the whole point, is to encourage our listeners today on this podcast that there is, yeah, in the midst of all the things that are happening, there is a hunger, amen? There is a hunger out there, and people are searching. And so we want you to be encouraged uh, as you hear this, um, as you hear this, uh, this Q&A take place. I know it will bless you. Meanwhile, uh, we pray you join us tomorrow, but may God bless you. May God keep you, and as always, keep looking. like feelings do the power of god can actually flow through you because now you have a single-minded unchanging foundation whereas your feelings and your experiences are subjective and i've been witnessing a lot of things in the church lately that are not biblical and i'll bring it up with my brothers and sisters and instead of giving a scriptural argument they'll say like well in my experience this or like well i feel this or like oh i feel like the lord showed me this and that's nonsense we need to stand on the word. And this is why we have our beloved brother Marty in here to uh, give us some, some hard truth. So Marty, if you'd like to get started, we talked about calling this series, The Truth Shall Set You Free. Good. Well, I was just, I was actually intrigued. You, you're, you're studying the book of Revelation right now? I was just mentioning the, the the letters to the church. I had an experience where I met some street preachers uh, about a year ago, and they were protesting a Jesus conference here in Orlando. And I went to speak to them, 
so that I could hear their perspective. And they just spit so much scripture at me and I couldn't, I couldn't deny it. And they pointed me to the letters in the church and I went home that night and studied them. And I was very alarmed to say the least at what I see in the church today. So you mentioned something that you all were agreeing about. You talked about when you went to church that you felt something was off, even though you'd had supernatural experiences. Yes. Apart from the collective, you know, church experience. Um, what was it that you felt? I mean, what, what did you guys sense? What was it that your experiences were like? Mm. For me, it, it just feels bubblegum. Um, if so, the word nice, if you guys aren't aware, if you look into the etymology of the word nice, it actually stems from stupid and ignorant. That's what nice means. And it, that's what church a lot of the time feels like. It feels very nice. Uh, they don't want to offend anybody. They don't want to challenge the ways of the world. And it's this very lukewarm, half true, God loves you. Yeah, Jesus just loves you, man. And like, yeah, we're just going to worship the Lord. But the Lord tells us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And the thing is, one thing I've been pondering a lot lately is the, you know, I'll hear preachers say a lot, God is love, but he's also just. Or God is love, but he's also holy. And the thing is, God is love. So every aspect of who he is, is love. So his wrath, his judgments, his everything is love. And, and having that, that tension of like absolute wrath towards wickedness because of what it does to, to the, the beauty and the magnificence of God's creation. And yet the, the loving kindness and patience all in one package is what needs to happen. And a scripture I've really been meditating on is Romans 12, 9. And it says, let your love not be hypocritical. Love what is good and hate what is evil. And I heard a sermon recently and I was very convicted about it. And it said, the topic was, how do you know if you're born again? And they said, do you hate your sin? And I listened and I said, no, I don't. I actually love my sin. And I was very convicted about this. And it's, you know, I try not to sin, but I, I couldn't in that moment say I hated it. And ever since having all these revelations I'm speaking of, you know, I was at the gym the other day and uh, I, some music videos were on the TV screen and I looked up and I saw the music video and I was like, I hate that. And I was like, oh, great. I hate sin. <laughs> this is wonderful. You know, so having this, this tension that that is the all consuming fire that is God in our spirit. So, and because of this lack of power of, you know, fullness of truth in the church, they make up for it with uh, fog machines and tight jeans and lights, as we've talked about before, Marty. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you're here. You made it. I'm here, yeah. Okay. Are we good? Can you hear us now? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, you have a lot of uh, questions there. I mean, a lot of things you brought up were really good points. I think part of the problem that happens in the modern day church is that it's evolved over time and and the, the, the larger it became, the less it became dependent upon the word and it became more about um, the field tested surveys, like what, what, what kind of church do you wanna be in? What kind of music do you like? And so it began to, uh, to create congregations that were built upon uh, what people desired 
which there's nothing wrong with what people desire uh, if, if they're seeking spiritual truth. But if you come into the realm of the church and you have it devoid of the word of God, then it's not built upon uh, the solid foundation of the word of God. So when you talk about something being off, the Lord said in his word that my sheep, they hear my voice. It's, it's a definitive penetrating of the innermost part of our being. It's there that he calls us. It's there that he speaks to us. And if we come into an environment, even if it has a cross over the, over the, over the top of the building, there's something that we sense inside that it doesn't bear witness with us. That's because you hear his voice. Yes. And, and, and how the enemy, which is the counterbalance to that works, the, the, the negative energy of Satan himself, the, the express will of, of, of demonic presence or satanic will. These are two competing forces, light and darkness. And, and both are being expressed within the confines of, of the community of the church. And this is why it, it requires that inner voice of the Holy Spirit within us so that we can discern it. But a lot of times when we first come in, we think, well, we're baby Christians, or I don't really, you know, um, you know, know the word very well, but I have been led to Christ. And when I come into this environment, I kind of feel funny. And But then they work overtime to, to like throw water on that and, and try and make you feel as if, well, you just need to like hang out a little bit more and get used to it. Yeah. But it kind of becomes like the proverbial frog in the boiling pot of water, right? You drop him in a pot of water that's boiling, he'll jump right out. But you put him in tepid water and gradually increase the heat, he becomes used to it. And before he knows it, he's been boiled to death. That's really the, uh, the experience of many in the church today. They come in with a vibrancy and an excited sense that I've discovered the presence of God for the first time in my life. I know Christ and I want to meet him and, and grow and experience him and so forth and so on. But now I come into this environment, and they must know better than me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm being judgmental. And so yeah. in that environment, great, right, great. over time, you begin to desensitize to where that initial exuberance and excitement about the things of God, the reality of it, the, the spark of it, the yes. revelation of it, uh, begins to, to diminish. And yeah. suddenly we settle in and just become part of the collective. But the beautiful thing about the expression of, of the Lord is that he individually reveals himself to each and every individual. And then when we collectively come together, each of us pouring forth the expression that I know, that you know, that whoever might know, together it creates an atmosphere where his spirit comes down and dwells. And that's when we go, ah, that's my Jesus. Amen. I feel his presence, right? And, and I would love to ask your perspective on something when we don't, because the, the Lord and his word are one. And when you don't have the full picture of the scripture and his character as revealed by the scripture, yet you have a yearning for God, you're going to have to overcompensate for that with books on how to hear God or how to soak in his presence or how to experience and God and all these sorts of things. And for me, the more I've just learned to embrace like, like everything in here is true and everything I need to know about God in here is true. I just feel a clarity in my spirit where I just know what God's will is more and more. Like there's just something in me that knows because I'm leaning on his word as my sure foundation. Right. And I see since a lot of churches are ignoring aspects of the word, 
they call his presence like the atmosphere they make by holding out the synth sound while the preacher is talking very slowly. Yeah. Presence of the Lord, you mm -hmm. know, and, and things like this. And I, I truly wonder what presence we're actually experiencing because there's certainly something in the atmosphere. But as far as I'm aware of, the presence of the Lord would kill people in the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit has come to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And yet people are congregating in the presence of the Lord and persisting in the same sins and false ways week by week. Well, that's a, <laughs> you said a mouthful there. <laughs> well, you know, the, you, you're talking about several things there. One is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But when we talk about the question of sin, we were discussing that a little bit earlier today. It's how you view what sin really is and what the sin principle is. You know, if we, if, we, if we list it as a set of rules, for instance, Paul put it this way, the Ten Commandments, what are those all about? Well, in, in, the, in the realm of religion, the Ten Commandments are put before our face and said, okay, if you, if you don't do this, 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 and this, I mean, you're in trouble, right? You ain't going to heaven. I mean, that's all there is to you. You better keep those commandments. Well, Paul radically said the opposite. He said, listen, the commandments were never designed to be the pathway by which you attain heaven or relationship with God. They were always intended to be instructional. In other words, they're, they're, the, uh, they're the, the list of things that teach me how far short I fall of perfection. Because the standard of relating with God is perfection. He's perfect. So first he needed us to be made aware of collectively as humanity that we don't add up and and if we want to approach him we first have to acknowledge okay these 10 list of rules i've broken them probably all of them jesus even took it further when he said look if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart you've committed adultery with her james said if you have a murderous thought or you're angry you've committed uh, an offense you've broken a commandment and he says whether you actually physically do it or do it spiritually from the heart you're guilty of the whole law and so that puts us in a position of absolute utter despair okay uh i've been so schooled throughout so many generations that to approach god i've got to be good because god's up there and he's just ready to squash me and destroy me. And so I better act right. Otherwise, I, I'm toast. And, and then when, when most people approach God on that basis, what they end up doing is, is ultimately reaching the end of their own willpower. So, you know, they try to be good, but then they find and discover that there's another law, as Paul talked about it, warring against the law of my mind and the desire of my heart. With my heart, I want to serve God. With my mind, I'm trying to choose and make the right decisions, but there's something pulling me in another direction. Now, I have two choices. I can either, um, <clears throat> I can either uh, resist it with all my might, ultimately only to fail, because what I'm actually battling against is what we were talking about. It's a spirit at a very high level that's seeking to bring everything under its influence me included as part of this grand expression called the material universe of which i'm part of right we have a body that's made up of protons neutrons atoms we call it the flesh the body whatever you want to call it but it's a vehicle but it is a miniature type of the universe 
the universe itself, the scripture tells us, has been plunged into absolute defilement, decay, corruption. And so the very house that I live in, the sentient part of me, my soul, and then my born-again spirit, which yearns and desires to serve God, finds itself trapped in the parameters of a miniature universe that's been plunged into destructive decay and tendencies toward darkness and death, really, which is the ultimate thing. And so when we present the gospel on a basis of simply do this or don't do that, uh, or, you know, God's just waiting up there to crush you, then we, we, we condemn people into a lifetime of religious performance. Now then there's the other extreme, right? Which is, well, he's a God of grace and love, and, you know, Jesus paid it all on the cross, and, and you know, you don't have to do anything. You can go out and live any way you want. It's under the blood. Well, that's the other extreme of, of the fallacy of, of anti-type religion, if you will. So what's the, what's the medium? What is the way that I'm to walk? This is what Christ said. I don't know if you got your scripture there. Yes. Take, take a look at this in uh, the very simple scripture, John chapter 3, verse 16, one of the most famous scriptures in the world. And, and he kind of gives the whole uh, explanation right there to a master in Israel, a religious master. His name was Nicodemus. And, and he told him something there. And, and it's very interesting. In verse 16, he says, uh, for God so loved the world. We've all heard that scripture, right? That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now let's just deconstruct that for a second here. He's telling a master, a scholar in the word that God loved the world. Now the world there isn't just people, the world and the world that, and the word that he's using there is cosmos. The word cosmos is the Greek word for the entirety of the universe. And so the first thing he begins to reveal is that God has an intimate feeling and emotional con connection with the material universe as a whole, the world. But then he reveals something that he gave his only begotten son. In other words, he begins to reveal to us by implying that something was necessary to fix the cosmos, to fix the universe. And, and it's an act of great love that God himself would allow his son to come and be wrapped in the very substance of the creation that was fallen. As only God could do, he would take upon himself everything that was decaying and destroying and corrupting. And, and the only prerequisite that he gave to be part of a relationship within him, with him is to identify ourselves with that very act of love. And in so doing, admit to myself that there's nothing that I can do on that basis to come to the Lord on my own merit, but that he's provided a way for me. And that that way is through his only son. So that the component that that creates the spark of life on the inside of me is the belief in what he did and that it will sustain itself throughout the multiple ages that are yet to come. And this is what he says in verse 17, well, verse 16, if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. And God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it. It's the complete uh, you know, opposite narrative of the way that God is presented nowadays. 
you know, he's this mean ogre up there, right? But, but Christ is revealing here that he didn't send him to condemn the world, the cosmos, look at it on that perspective, and it enlarges the whole idea of what Calvary, the cross, paying for our sins, dying, raising from the dead, all of that is so far much more grand and dramatic than just the simple do this or don't do that question that religion likes to, you know, package God in. And so Christ is speaking at such a high level here. He says he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the cosmos, the universe, but that the cosmos or all multiple dimensions that exist that were tainted by original sin, by the way, which is in the whole nother subject, that through him, everything would be saved. So what's being implied here is that a whole new creative act, a whole new construct is coming to pass. And whatever or whenever a human being finds himself in whatever, you know, little segment of history down through the generations he may find himself in, we find ourselves on the other side of Calvary in the 21st century, being able to look back at what has transpired over 2,000 years now at a much higher sense of understanding from the perspective of everything that's been revealed to our generation. So we're able to, to speak of, about it in these ways. And so what Christ is actually saying here in verse 18, he goes on to say, he that believes on him is not condemned. That presupposes a judgment that's already taken place sometime in the dateless past before time and space was ever constructed. And then he goes on to say, but he that believes not is condemned already because what? He has not believed in the authority and the character of the only begotten son of God. And then he takes it deeper and he says this, this is the condemnation. And what is that? Verse 19, that light is come into the universe or the cosmos, but that humanity loved darkness more than they loved the light. So what he's talking about here are two competing forces, and they've been in conflict for multiple ages and eons. And he's beginning to hone in on the, on the exact question of what is exactly happening, that what has been unleashed in our experience and in the material realm itself is darkness. They are two competing ideologies, two competing wills, two competing expressions of how the direction of reality is going to go forward into the, however you want to define it, you know, the epics without end in, in the endless, dateless future. And so he's, he's bringing this together. And then he says, what condemns people is that rather than coming to the light, and what is that light? Because that's what you were talking about, the way, the truth, and the life. What is truth? Pilate asked that question when Jesus was on trial, right? And he said, I came to bear witness of the truth. And Pilate said, what is truth? Jesus telling his disciples saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. And no man comes to the Father but by me. So he said, light has come. What is light? It's understanding. It's revelation. It's the imperceptible thing that God's children know, but the world doesn't because it's spiritually revealed in the innermost part of our being. So then we're talking about complicated choices at very base levels in the interior part of ourselves. When we pursue God, that struggle is there. But Christ comes to bring light so that we understand what the struggle's about. 
and that its origin, its beginnings go well beyond time and space and that this is the question. So then he says this, that they love the darkness. These are choices made rather than the light that's been expressed and brought to us because what? Their deeds are evil. What they do, what they produce through their life, what flows out of us. And he says, the question will come down to this. And this is one of the hardest things for created beings to understand because we have a beginning, we have origin, we have a moment when we become sentient, when our soul, our will, our emotions are downloaded into this vessel we call our body. We're in essence born into darkness. Even, even a baby being conceived in the womb of its mother is teaching us something. We're deposited into a womb shrouded in darkness, encased in water. Every single life that is conceived in the womb is retelling the creation story, if you can think about it. Because when we pick up Genesis chapter one, for instance, I hope I'm not going too out there for you. When we, when we pick up Genesis chapter one, we see a planet uh, engulfed in water, right? Well, every pregnancy is a retelling of that story. We have the possibility of life, but it's covered in water. And it tells the story of how darkness sought to put out the light. But even in the midst of that darkness, life grows. And it's telling the story. We make our way out of darkness into the light, right? The interesting thing is when a child comes out of the womb into the light, he weeps or she weeps. It's, it tells the story as each thing is born, each creature, each human being, boy or girl or whatever you want to call it, or every human being, we come out crying. And it's as if we're testifying to the fact that we've been born into sadness. Now, this is what Jesus says. He says, I was sent precisely at the intersection of history, at the fullness of time by my father. And I've made an appearance on this planet to speak to humanity that has always been destined to become sons and daughters of the most high God. But because of the competing ideology, if you will, for lack of a better war word, and satanic will, which was allowed to inhabit material creation and plunge the whole of it into darkness, it is all you've known. But he says precisely at the intersection, at the exact moment it needed to be, God sent his son. And now I've come to begin to explain these things to you. And now you are without excuse. Your only obligation is to accept it or reject it. That's what he's saying. And if you choose to reject it, it is because you have come to the place where you love the darkness more than you love the light. And then he says this in verse 20, everyone that does evil hates the light, and neither will they come to the light lest their deeds should be reproved or corrected. Isn't that the issue? I have decided and determined to go in my own direction. What collective humanity fails to understand, and this is what the scripture reveals, is there's only two kinds of individuals on the planet. Those that belong to the creator, those who have given their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, and those who belong to Satan. There is no gray area. The book of Ephesians tells us that when we come to God and we become born again, 
he then begins the process of fitting us into the collective of the church and that the church made up of multiple millions through the ages who've accepted this great uh, hand of extended hand of, of grace by the father, they become part of the congregation of the righteous. Those who are destined to a future to go on into the next creative act of the father. But they are special and unique in this, in that we are created in the image of God. And so what Paul goes on to say is that we are collectively put together, designed specifically to become a temple, a house for the very spirit of God, a habitation of God through the spirit. Well, the opposite of that is the other end of the spectrum. Humanity is a collective temple. It's either controlled by God in this particular you know, epoch of time that we're living in, or it's be controlled by a, an opposing force. We call him the devil, we call him Lucifer, Satan, whatever name you want to give him, that old dragon, the serpent. He has his own children. Now, what Jesus goes on to say, and I'll just stop talking here, he says, he that does truth, he will come to the light so that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. In other words, that God has made him. And so the distinguishing mark is that spirit you were talking about, all of you, when you go into situations, even if it has a cross over the top of the building, and you don't sense that sense of peace, that spark of, of joy, those moments of clarity when suddenly you know Christ and you know God and all that stuff, you know, it's just so real to you. And then you go into a place where they're supposed to be your kind of people, and you don't sense that presence of the Lord. It's because you have become sensitized to God's spirit within your inner being. And when you ever you come into a situation like that, don't question yourself. Get out of there <laughs> and go find, get out under a tree somewhere if you need to and just call out to him. But God will lead you and connect you with others that are feeling the same way. That's why I'm so proud of Christian and all of you. You're all young. And I don't think you really understand what's actually happening yet in its fullness and what's actually happening to you. This has been prophesied in the word of God that in the last days, God would have to bypass a completely compromised generation and reach into, for lack of a better word, the woke in the church, those who have actually heard the calling of God whether it's in the stillness of the two or three o'clock in the morning when you're just alone with your thoughts and you sense something. Paul called it the Spirit of God reaching to you. He can no longer work within the confines of established religion. And this is a radical thought because you have incredibly powerful religious establishment ruling elite types that want to tell you how you have to seek God and what you have to do and how you have to come up under their domain. But God has always been so radical and at key moments throughout the generations of time and history, he always bypasses religion. Whether it's a John the Baptist in a wilderness who had to leave the temple because he was no longer welcome within the organized structure of religion, Jesus went out to him, or whether it's Moses getting the children of Israel and bringing them into the wilderness. It's always been a people out of a people out of a people. But there's prophecies for the end of time that say God is going to pour out his spirit and that the sons and the daughters will begin to prophesy. They'll begin to challenge the establishment. They'll begin to call them on the carpet for their compromise and for their watered down expressions of pseudo Christianity. And they'll do it without fear or favor of men. And the glory of the Lord is going to flow through all of you. All of you are called for this moment in time. 
You're to bear witness to the light and you're to declare to this decaying, dying, aggressive, draconian world that there is one coming. <laughs> now I'm getting all excited. Here. There's one coming, right? He's coming. That, that's the X factor here, right? He didn't just come to die on the cross. He came to pay the price, but he's also coming back for his church. Anyway, go ahead. I didn't mean to dominate, but no, I want you to dominate. <laughs> well, I want the Holy Spirit to dominate, but please yeah, teach us it. You know, um, that was great. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think a lot of us can relate to exactly what you're saying. You know, I remember first going to churches and being in the midst of the worship services and just feeling something so off in me and praying like, Lord, do I have demons inside of me? Like, what is this? But, and this is why, you know, when we spoke earlier today, Marty, you know, I, I was talking about really wanting to harp on the point of it's the truth that sets yeah. us free. It's the truth that we stand on. And again, most, many, if not most of the practices we see in mainline, you know, religion and Christianity today, yeah. whether it be evangelicalism, you know, charismatic, Catholic, whatever, are not biblical. It's just right. simply not. And I know we spoke, uh, you talked about Bethel, which is kind of like the forerunner for modern day Christianity yeah. uh, in the scripture is what a, t a temple that started worshiping false gods. So, so they're mixing the bag. And it's interesting because it's, you know, we get sucked out of the new age and then we go into Christianity and it's almost a lot of the same tactics they use to spiritually deceive us in the new age are used in the church too. Like, right. again, like I spoke about the synthesizer sound, like the, just relax. <laughs> this is the yeah. presence of God. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Whereas Jesus tells us to be alert and to be sober and to be awake, not to be, you know, basking in the synthesizer chords. Right. Yes. Well, emotion for emotion's sake, right? But it is an emotional thing. I mean, I've wept, I've, I've shouted, I've, I've run by the spirit of God, especially when I was younger. A lot of crazy things happened before I even got into church and people told me this is how you're supposed to act and behave, right? Yeah. Um, but it's that experience with God. I don't know if you have your Bibles, you guys, but you, you know, you might want to look at this later in John chapter uh, 16, 15. Let me see where this is here. Uh, the Lord's getting ready to go away. He's at the Passover, the last meal he's going to have before he goes to trial and, and, and he gets... He gets crucified and then he raises from the dead. He then uh, begins to tell the his disciples that it's it's better for them if he goes away. And it was something that blew their mind. I mean, they've been with him for three and a half years in his earthly ministry, and now he's telling them it's going to be better for you that I go away. It's something that they couldn't understand. But then he goes on to, to describe to them why it is um, that it is better for them to go away. He says, if he didn't go away, that the Holy Spirit wouldn't come to them. Let me see if I can find that exact scripture. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, let's just read a few of the characteristics here. In, in chapter uh, 14, he says this. He says in verse 25, he said these things, chapter 14, verse 25, the Gospel of John, he says this. These things have I spoken unto you, yet being present with you, physically present. But listen to what he says here in verse 26. He says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, listen to this, he will teach you all things. And he will bring everything to your remembrance, whatever I've said to you. 
my peace I give to you, not like the world gives it, but I give it to you from me. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let your heart be afraid. And then he, he says this really interesting thing here in verse 30. He says, hereafter, I will not talk very much more with you because the prince of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. So now he's beginning to reveal the conflict we were just talking about. But the thing I wanted you to really point out to show you here is what he said about the Holy Spirit, which is that he will teach you and, and that he will reveal to you the word of God. And, and this is a component of your relationship with God that is vital. Number one, the Spirit will never talk to you about himself. This is why when you look at movements like Hillsong or Bethel or a whole host of others that are like that, they emphasize the Spirit of God. But the Lord didn't say that about the Spirit. He said he would never draw attention to himself, but his focus would always be Jesus Christ. And that this is a component of connection with God that is at such a level as to have direct access to understanding what it is that you're reading in the scriptures and being led and guided by him. And he said, it's better that I go away because if I don't go away, you will not have the spirit come to you and live and reside within you. It's a symbiotic relationship. It's a meshing with your soul, your spirit, and the very spirit of God. We talked about this in 1 John chapter 2. This is what John says about the Holy Spirit. And it's really powerful because I would call modern-day Bethel like the old-time Gnostics. They, they have the same types, types of teaching. They like to dominate. They like to create situations that cause you to be dependent on what it is that they tell you. But John blows that out of the water. And he says this. He says, I'm writing you these things. First John, that is the letter of John, chapter 2, verse 26. I'm writing you these things concerning those that seduce you. Listen to what he says that you have, but the anointing which you have. That's one of the things that we need to understand to begin with is you have an anointing, you yourself. That anointing is the spirit that has come to rest upon you. In the old days, back in the Old Testament, it was represented by the oil that they would pour on a king, on a priest. The Bible says that we've all become kings and priests ministers unto God. And he says, you have an anointing. And the anointing which you have received of him, it abides in you. It's a, it's a spiritual component in you. It's the Holy Spirit in you. And listen to what he goes on to say, so that you don't have any need. So you're not at a deficit here. And you have no need that any man should teach you. Listen to what he says. The same anointing that's on the inside of you, it will teach you all things. And this is what you were talking about, Christian, is truth and no lie, even as it has taught you, and you shall abide in him. Mm. So what he's saying is that you're not dependent on people. And, and if you reach a place, which is it's really become this way. I mean, it's very difficult to find a congregation or groups of brothers and sisters that all we want, I mean, is, is the Lord. We just want your word, man, you know. Uh, it's very difficult to find that. So John encourages us here, and he begins to un unveil to us a component of spirituality that is so deep, because what he's literally saying is a, a, a part of the Spirit of God is dwelling on the inside of you, and it 
And it's that that begins to lead you when you're in the word and he teaches you and he reveals to you things and he shows you things that are yet to come. He'll show you what's gone in, on in the past, what's happening right now, and he'll show you what is yet to come. He'll reveal the future to you. So we depend on the spirit. Now, what? where is the spirit found? Both inside me, because that's what he says, and also in the word. Let's look at John chapter 6. And, and, uh, and Could I ask you a quick question? Yeah, go ahead. John um, chapter well, well, we're, well, we're going there. Go ahead, yeah, I, I really love that you pointed the scripture out and that it says the anointing abides in you. I went to a church service the other night, which I regretted. Um, and the whole sermon was on flowing in the anointing. And they were talking essentially how to like enter it and how to build it as if it's mm -hmm. something that comes upon us, like, uh, you know, because we're doing a certain action. And I see this teaching in you know a lot of modern day christianity would you say that that is an unbiblical doctrine well, absolutely how many times did they take you to the scripture yeah well exactly yeah it was more so like the traditions of men and like books written by this evangelist and this healing minister and um you know and I'll something to you here is that is that understand i i began i got came out and basically got saved when i was 14 or 15 lived like a dog for many years and then around 23, 24, I rededicated myself to the Lord in the charismatic Pentecostal movement. So when I talk about spirit and, and these things that you guys are bringing up, it's not without <laughs> experience, you know? Yeah. And so I'm a, I'm a complete advocate of the Holy Spirit, but in its proper context, understanding what it is, it must be word-based. See, this is what Jesus said in John chapter six. He laid down some heavy stuff in the word, right? And then, and then they get all offended. Because he's telling them, unless you eat my, uh, drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part in me. Well, that blew them away and said, what are you, teaching us cannibalism? This is crazy. And they couldn't handle it. But then what he tells them about that is in verse 62, in verse 61, chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, Jesus says this. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said this. Does this offend you? What if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Now listen to what he says this. It is the spirit that quickeneth or makes things alive. The flesh profits nothing. Now listen, where's the Holy Spirit? He says right here, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit. Yes. They are life. That's where the Holy Spirit is, in yes. the word, right? Amen. Yeah, and I, like like I said, you know, uh, the more I've, I've learned that, wow, it's just like everything's in here. There's been such a clarity and a power because there's a single-minded foundation to build on that is the spirit of God. And, yes. you know, I, I used to feel such confusion because I would listen to all these different ministers talking about how to hear the Holy Spirit or read these books on how to hear God or how to develop the relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I truly believe it's so similar to like the occultic sort of new age teachings. And whereas now, I'm just standing on the meat of the word and I feel like I hear God very clearly. And it's not in a sense of like a voice, but I just know things in my spirit. Right. Because he is his word. His right. words are spirit. And he'll never, he will never tell you something that you can't find in the word ever. Amen. And that's why we have so many problems in the neo-charismatic Pentecostal church today. Everybody's a prophet. Everybody's an apostle. Everybody's got a word, but you ask him to show me in the word of God you know and validate what it is you're saying and and they can't do it and yeah you run from people like that yeah it, it's the word it's always been the word in the beginning was what the word 
Yeah. And the word was with God and the word was God and the word wrapped itself <sighs> in flesh, right? It's so pure, you yeah. know, and it's funny coming from the new age, I, I had such a yearning for the supernatural because, you know, yeah. I, I had supernatural experiences with the Lord. So I was more attracted to that sort of stuff, people that harped on these things. But the more I realized that, you know, I'm not just reading a book, I'm actually like communing with the Lord in these words, the supernatural power that comes from the purity of that is beyond anything I've ever known. Yeah. And there's a brother of mine, I like the way he puts it, Jacob Prash is his name. He says, um, uh, prayer is us talking to God and and reading his word is god talking back to us mm. right the, the two components are are integral yeah you can't just pray and not study and and again let me just let me just put this out here we we can so easily uh, cross over into an obligation of relationship with god where we feel driven by a sense of oh my god i didn't read the word today or oh gosh i didn't pray today well if we go down that path we're going to eventually reach again an end a dead end the bible tells us in the book of hebrews and i'm i'm i'm, I'm not taking for granted that any of you know all of these scriptures so let's just look there if, if you remember in in john i mean in hebrews chapter 11 this is what he says about seeking God. First, he says, 11 verse 6, he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And listen to this, he says, because he that comes to God must first believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder mm. of them that what? Seek him. Seek his blessings, seek his benefits, you know, seek what he can give me. No, that's not what he said. What he's looking for are individuals that want to seek him solely because he's God. And, and, and being caught up in that pursuit of God himself. How many times do we read in the gospels where people grabbed onto Jesus and they didn't want to let go? Well, in essence, that's, that's that kind of seeking God for God's sake and not for any other reason. And it, it's in that pursuit of him of him that we find liberty and freedom. Remember when Jesus gave the great sermon on the Mount, he, he basically broke it down into this. He said, listen, seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and everything you're all worried about, your food, your clothes, your rent, your house, all that stuff. He goes, it'll be added to you. It'll, it'll, it's, it's almost as if the mass, if you know about gravitational fields, right? a planetary body and moons that revolve around it because of the mass of the planetary body. The more that we are filled with his word, the more that we spend time in his presence, there is a density, a, a strength, a mass that comes into the interior part of us, and it attracts the things that, that he has for us. It's drawn to us. He provides for us. But our pursuit is not the thing. Our pursuit is the one who blesses me with the, the person himself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I really love that you pointed out that verse because, you know, I think that's what distinguishes like re like going to the Bible as a dead letter as opposed to for relationship. Like like we're, we're seeking a living being that created us when we're reading this word. 
Yeah, now let's take over that, and I'll, I'll close with this. I've kept you guys too long, but look at John chapter four. I think we would take as much as you'd be willing to give, actually. In John chapter four, um, there's a question between, Jesus has this conversation with this woman at the well, and, and, uh, and she enters into a religious conversation with him. In, John, in the gospel of John chapter four, he said uh he's having this conversation and then she she tells him uh she starts to talk to him about different places of worshiping god and she says this in verse 11 she says uh chapter 4 verse 11 she says the woman said to him sir you don't have anything to draw from the well and it's deep are you greater than our father jacob which gave us this well and drank there of himself and Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. And then she engages in a, in, a, in a conversation with him, and it leads up to this. She says in verse 19, the woman says to him, sir, I think you're a prophet. And then she goes religious on him right away, which is what we do. In verse 20, she says, you know, our fathers, they worship here in this mountain, Mount Gerizim. But you say that we're supposed to seek God in Jerusalem, and that's where men are supposed to worship. But listen to what he says in verse 21. He says, woman, believe me, the hour has come when you shall neither in this mountain or in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you don't even know what. We, we know what we worship because salvation comes through the Jews. But listen to what he says. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him because God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's so much there, but he's basically saying it's not really important where you're at. He says what he's looking for is those that worship him from the heart, and that can be out under a tree in the middle of the Congo or, you know, it, 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 in your living room, you know, early in the morning. It doesn't matter. It's a question of the heart. And it's by the leading of the spirit through his word that we connect with him. And he says, that's who God's looking for. Those kind of people. Amen. Are you uh, okay with taking a few questions, Brother Marty? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Nicole, you've had your hand up for a minute. So much. Um, I really would love to hear your perspective. I've heard people say that um, the body of Christ is the church. Like, what's the difference between like the body being the church versus the churches? You know, mm -hmm. we go because I know that a lot of us are like, well, I go to this church, but it's not right, or that it's too much of a show. I just would love for you to speak on that in particular. Well, Paul had that that very same dilemma in his time, and we could find a simple answer. In, it's in First Corinthians chapter 3, and he addresses just that very question itself. And the issue was that there was all kinds of preachers coming into this, this congregation that was being birthed, which the Apostle Paul uh, was birthing in Corinth. And then he makes some really interesting statements when he says this in verse 16. He says this, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, verse 16. He says, do you not know that you individually and collectively are the temple of God 
and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, there's been a lot of, you know, clothesline preachers have used that, that particular verse to beat up on people. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost, and God's going to judge you. But what he's actually talking about is enlightening the church, which is individually a temple, collectively a larger temple. But he's admonishing each and every person to be very careful about who you listen to. Because if you read the third chapter, what you're going to see is there was a dispute over who their favorite preacher was and who their favorite teacher is. And he's actually talking to the preachers and said, listen, whether it's one person or a thousand people, they're the temple of God collectively. It's not a building. It's not a denomination. It's a person. And he admonishes us and, and is rebuking these preachers. He said, if you preach things to them or lead them in directions that aren't right, you're defiling God's temple and you're going to be judged for it. That is why it's very important, like you guys were talking about earlier, when you've come into certain situations where you don't feel comfortable, it's because you're in a, in, a, in, a, in a situation where the spirit of God that dwells in you is basically telling you, get away from there. You know, and you've got to listen to that voice quickly. And the more you listen to it, the more proficient you become at, 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 uh, at being led by his spirit. So we are the temple. Let's take a look at one more scripture to maybe bring some more light on it. And that's in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, which is how he describes it there, is that we are built up collectively. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter 2, he says, uh, verse 19, and we'll read down through there. He says, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens and saints, and you are of the household of God. You're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together, what, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And then he says this, in whom all the building, that's each collective part individually and then brought together, fitly framed together, it grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom, that is the Lord, you are also built together for what? This is a powerful statement for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So it is, the, it is the congregation itself that is the temple. That doesn't mean that, like, if you don't go down to 7th and Main, you know, the first church of the awesome people, that you're not part of the temple. You yourself individually are a temple. And when we come together, led by the Spirit, and we connect, we, we become a larger temple and have greater capacity for the Spirit of God to dwell within us. But this is so radical because it's actually saying God himself is inhabiting us and thereby expressing himself as he sees what a temple is. It's an undefinable, mysterious thing known to the Spirit of God, but we're also known of each other, right? So uh, I hope that helps. Yeah. I'd like to ask a question. Um, yeah. I've heard a lot of people when referring to apostate churches and churches that have false doctrines where they'll say things like, oh, I feel like the Lord just shown me, I just need to see what he's doing there and not so much focus on the stuff that's not him. Um, could you speak on what you would say to someone like that? Well, <laughs> again, um, this get, this goes to motive. This goes to interior relationship, right? Yeah. 
because as we pursue God, really what begins to happen, if you're serious now, you know, um, the light of the spirit begins to inspect even the nooks and crannies of our very most interior being. And so many times when we make choices and decisions or statements like that, you were just relating whoever you heard that from, there's really a, uh, you know, there's this, it's really a, a smoke screen for something that, that, that's being withheld from God. Hmm. Excuse. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Where we're headed and what's just ahead of us in the days ahead is so radically and profoundly dire. Tribulation, peril, the whole world is already being brought into positions of absolute madness, and it's only going to increase and rapidly. God is assembling a radical group of people to join together and connect in spirit with our brothers and sisters in 95% of the rest of the world who have been living up under intense persecution and suffering for the last multiple decades. And I speak of China, Africa, South Central America, just go down the list. The reality of the heat of the times is now coming to rest in the Laodicean age, which is the United States of America. The expression of Laodicea has come to rest on the shores of this country. <laughs> really the spirit of Babylon is here. And so all these kind of peripheral issues that people like to throw out there, they're not serious. But he's looking for serious people who understand that by his spirit, we are transcended above the horizontal aspect of reality. And we're enlarged, to put it simply, like Paul said, uh, set your sights on things above. To put it in modern language, transcend the multiple dimensions of your experience into the realm where God dwells set your sights there, because that's what we're being called to. And the quality and the depth of the kind of spirit that you allow the Holy Spirit to develop within you and me is going to be the very anchor of our soul, anchored to the Word of God, and the revelation of it, and what it has prophesied for, for, for generations would come to pass in the end of time. That's going to be the only thing that sees us through. So all this other peripheral stuff, maybe I'm too radical, but all of it's coming down. And if it's going to exist at all, it's going to be sanctioned by an antichrist system. Yeah. And so the church itself is returning to the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts, you read about a church that had to remove itself from established, powerful religion and its ruling elite and its domination over the expression of God, which took the form of synagogues and, and structured buildings with hierarchies and all kinds of stuff, you know, dictates from headquarters and everybody broke off into their own little sect. But when the Spirit of God came and infiltrated into the collective of the church of that time, the first century church on the day of Pentecost, a new living organism was birthed into the cosmos, if you will, something that had never existed before, made up of both Jew and Gentile, the church of the living God. And it endured precisely because it understood, as it was led by the Spirit, how to remove itself from the system and engage uh, with each other being led by the Spirit. You read the book of Acts, and it says they broke bread from house to house daily. They met together. They prayed together. They loved one another. There were no superstars. There were no, you know, big organizations and, you know, campus churches and, and you know, bookstores and all that. There was none of that. There was the simple, basic, purious sense of the love and the commonality of a savior that they all knew individually and collectively could rejoice in together. This None of this was controlled by men, but by the spirit. 
if you study the Old Testament, it was always revealed that it was meant to be that way. God revealed himself first to humanity by one select nation. That was the nation of Israel when he delivered them out of Egypt in the great Exodus story. How he led them was by a, by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He dwelt in the midst of the camp and they moved when the cloud moved, the entire tribe moved, the whole nation moved. So well, he was revealing how he was going to express himself through his church. It was meant to be a typology and metaphor for a larger truth that was yet to be expressed in about 2,000 years from that point, which became the church of Jesus Christ. Well, we're returning to that. It's necessary. You're not going to be able to publicly express true fidelity to Christ in these times. Even here in America, if you'll be honest and you've been paying attention, you know they're coming after the real believer. And so we need to have the leading of the Spirit. We need to have the wisdom of the Spirit. We need to be, as brothers and sisters, wise as serpents, Jesus said, but harmless as doves. And so, in other words, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. And so you better be intellectually stimulated by the Holy Spirit of God so that you conduct yourself in a wise way. It could very well be the survival of you, your loved ones, and your community around you. Things are going to get rough. But let me tell you something. We have the promise of the scripture that it's only for a short space of time. It's necessary. Remember, Jesus had three and a half years of a public ministry. According to the book of Revelation, the same intensity is coming, and evil will be allowed to express itself for 42 months or three and a half years at the end of time. We are entering into those days. That's what this whole global reset is about. That's what this whole pandemic situation was about. That's what the whole shift in global uh, politics and military expression, whether it be the dragon of China or the old Roman Empire revived in, in Eastern and Western Europe, and now America being isolated and her people in a complete chaotic and, and anxious state, not knowing where are we headed, right? But see, the children of God being led by the Spirit of God who are spending quality time with God are being connected supernaturally. That's what we're here for together, right? Yeah. I mean, we get, it's, it's like we get together and we get inspired with each other's presence. We receive from the Spirit of God. We're going to have to learn a whole new expression and to break with the shackles of denominationalism and of the control of the ruling establishment and go back to the vibrancy of the initial expression of the early church. It's our fellowship. We have a symbiotic connection with the first century and the last century of, of the expression of human history. We have a unique opportunity in our time to forge ahead with clarity, understanding these are the days that the prophets told us about. So we are going to be led of the Spirit, by the Spirit, and through the Word of God, be able to navigate ourselves through these times. And, and in the not-too-distant future, we're going to see the literal physical return of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what the Scripture says. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Marty. Uh, Aaron, you've had your hand up for a minute. Yeah. Namaste, Sabiko. It's been a long time. Welcome. I guess this is the first time I've been in the group chat since, um, I don't know, since ages. In 2021, I feel this is the first time I've come. Man, I was really busy with college, and then I had an internship. I'm still going to go today morning, so yeah. Okay, so my question to uh, Brother Marty is, um, you were talking about when a person is in the womb, yes. 
um, or babies in the womb, like um, just like while it's being conceived, it's shrouded in darkness. If there was a miscarriage to occur, what would be the fate of that child? And um, please elaborate on us being like absolutely, um, you know, one track into darkness, like one track um, into like the ways of this world, that kind of stuff. Well, on the first question, what the scripture indicates, first of all, King David wrote about that. He said that all of our members or, or the essence of our substance and being, our soul, our sentient self, are written and recorded in a book, an actual book. And, and, that, and, and what that implies then is that each individual's soul is, is destined to be born precisely at the moment that the creator deems it to be born, you and I. We weren't born 100 years ago in the old west, so to speak, right? We were born precisely when we were meant to be born, all of it working together like one great symphony interacting with each other in order to bring about the desired result of the will and the counsel and the purpose of God. Now to the question of, of a miscarriage, the, the actual soul itself is what it is. And so if it was to be miscarried, and, and my daughter's had a couple of those actually, and, and, and we've drawn comfort from the, this kind of truth, the soul itself is the substance and the aspect of, of the creator himself. We are, we are the offspring of God. That's, that's what Paul said to the, to, the, to the Athenians when he spoke on Mars Hill. So the only difference is, is that when a soul comes into the womb, it is what it is. But then it begins to grow a house of, of protons, neutrons, the substance of the universe. So when that component dies, the soul doesn't cease to exist. It was actually interjected into the realm of the material universe, but it never ceases to exist. And Solomon said, it returns unto the spirit of the Lord or to God who gave the spirit. So it remains individual. What that means in essence, like do we, you know, are we in existence and what was the purpose behind it? I, I can't answer that definitively. But I have heard stories, and again, not to lean on the experiences of it, but I have heard stories of, of those who, who claim to have had near-death experiences or died, that they actually saw like a brother and a sister or something that uh, in heaven, they were allowed to witness certain things. Paul talked about being out of the body. He couldn't tell where he was, but he was caught up in the third heaven, and he saw a whole bunch of things that he, he really didn't want to talk about. But we learn from that that there is interaction and that there are, are real connections made in, in, in that dimension. And so I've read stories where people give accounts of actually seeing uh, brothers and sisters that, that either had a miscarriage or, or that, that died at, a, at an early age. So that's the best way I know how to answer that. You don't cease to exist. You're actually brought into being and deposited and allowed to exist. How you grow up, how you develop, I don't know. But I know that it, it, it has happened and, and does happen. And, and that's the best answer I can give to that. I wasn't too clear on the second part of your question about the path of, uh, of what, could you restate that? Do you, do you know what he was saying there, brother? Um, I was saying that by default, we are, we are destined to, and it does definitely make sense because um, our flesh has cravings which are not off the spirit. 
yeah. all kinds of cravings yeah. in all kinds of directions, which which God has clearly stated in the Bible that we should not pursue. Right. So, um, so since we like, if a person doesn't do anything, so yeah, that was basically the basis of my question. Like a baby doesn't do anything or say anything, right? Yes. When it is unborn, when right. it comes into the world and it has a few years of at least maybe one or two, then it does something or says something. And then there comes the possibility of disobeying the law. Yes. So I was talking in terms of that. Well, that's a great question. Now, Paul answered that question when he said, okay, um, what if no one's ever heard the gospel? What if you've never heard the, the plan of salvation or, or, or whatever? What about the guy in the jungle of the Amazon or the deep parts of the Congo, right? He's never heard the guy, and then he dies. Well, Paul said that on that basis, and this will challenge some established doctrine of, 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 of tradition, but, but this is what the scripture says, is that he will be judged by his conscience how he answered his conscience. So if he's never heard the gospel, Paul, let, let's take a look at that real quick, because it's, a, it's an excellent question. Paul said that the creator has, has demonstrated something that is common to every human who's ever lived. And, 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 and he says he's done it by way of the creation. This is what he says in Romans chapter 1. He says this, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, so they hold the truth in unrighteousness. What does that mean, Paul? He goes on to say this. He says, because that which may be known of God. So he, he starts telling us something can be known about God that's common. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to hear the word of God. You don't have to hear the gospel. He says they're going to be judged based on what is what, what I call general revelation, something that all of us see. He says, because that which has been maybe known of God is manifest in them. How's that? He goes on to say, because God has showed it to them. What has he showed them? He says that the invisible things of God or him are revealed how? By the creation of the cosmos, by the universe itself. From the creation of the world, they are clearly seen and they are being understood by the things that are made. And what is it that we can understand? His eternal power, his Godhead. And then he says this, so that they are without excuse. So what he's saying is that if you've never heard the gospel, he says, you can't stand before God and say, okay, I didn't know. He says, okay, well, I'm not going to judge you on that basis. If you never knew, you never heard. There is one thing that everyone has seen. Whether you chose to acknowledge it, and whether you chose to see it, the very fact that you live in a universe, on a planet, in a solar system, on the third arm of the Milky Way, in the midst of a galaxy of 100 billion stars, in the midst of 100 trillion galaxies, all of that should be testifying to you. There is some awesome power out there. He says that has been revealed to every individual at some point in their life when they look in wonder and awe at the creation itself or the consistency of it. For example, none of us go to bed tonight going, oh, my God, I, 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 I just wonder if the sun's going to come up tomorrow, right? I'm just freaking out because it might not. We don't even think about it. It just comes up, and it sets, and it comes up again. Well, he's saying that's God speaking. It speaks about plan, purpose, consistency, faithfulness, all the things we could talk about, right? And then 
all the other things that he says creation reveal. He says we'll be judged on that basis. We're without excuse to say, I didn't know there was a God. Whether we chose to acknowledge it or not, that's a whole different story. But Paul says, everyone, therefore, will stand before God based on what he did with what was revealed to his conscience. Whether he acknowledged it or not, there's no excuse. The creation itself is enough, he says. And all of us should be able to look at it and go, wow, <laughs> this is awesome. And if we take the time to reflect on it, Paul says, you will come to understand his eternal power and his Godhead. But no one's uh, without excuse. In other words, there, there is no excuse. So whether it's by the gospel or whether it's by general creation, all of us have had in some way God reach out to us and try to reveal himself to us, whether we acknowledge it or not. That'll be determined uh, when we stand before him, right? I believe uh, Ralph and Michelle were next. Good evening, Brother Marty. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> good, good. Uh, I love listening to you. We both were listening to you and grateful to hear your word tonight. Um, Amen. Yeah. And I know I speak for most here, if not all. Um, so my question is something that's been coming up for me. Um, I work and have been working with um, indigenous ceremonies to the North America, right? So the Anipi, if you're familiar, the Swart Lodge and things like this, yeah. um, as well as the Sundance and it's something that's been stirring up in me is kind of how to um basically what i see is uh, a way of connecting with with god in these ceremonies that is pure and good and also how they can be seen to be uh maybe pagan is the word or um maybe they've been co-opted in some way when they're not pure or maybe they've been taken over by new age folk and things like this and there's a lot of um what's the word there's a lot of uh, room where, where people are kind of abusing them and, and things like this but I'm also seeing that uh, it's common for them to be written off completely and so Michelle actually found my girlfriend here uh, recently found um, Richard Twist if you're familiar mm -hmm. um, he's, ri he's written a book what's it called Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys um, <laughs> it's a really amazing um, he, was, he was Lakota and he passed away a few years ago but he has a ton of uh, videos on YouTube. Richard Twist is his, was his name. Yeah. So, kind of just wondering, and I, um, I'm wondering your perspective on that, and like how, how to see through it. You know, how to see with that. I know that's kind of an open-ended question. <laughs> if you're asking uh, if I think that it's okay to participate in, in sweat lodges and things like that, I know that the spiritual component uh, of of the native people, which my wife is Native American. My father-in-law just passed away, uh, was a chief here in the, in his tribe. Um, is mama there? Yeah. Mama, come here and talk to them about this. I think you'd rather hear it from her. Uh, and, yeah. Tell them what, what you feel about the Hi. spiritual aspect of, of the uh -huh. sweat I'm Debbie. And the Sunday. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Debbie. <laughs> okay, I don't. I don't know particularly what you guys are talking about. Hi, hello. About. Hi. Hi. That's Christian. But the uh, sweat lodges and the uh, spiritual aspect of the Indian uh, worship and the different things they do to contact spirituality is not of Jesus Christ. On the other hand, I've heard stories from the pioneer days of natives who believed in a great white spirit 
and stories of how it seemed that they were really talking about the one true God, but still they didn't know Christ. And different tribes have different traditions. Some tribes were darker than others in their traditions. And um, it depends on what you get into, but anything that takes it to a spiritual level without naming the name of Christ, the Bible tells us any spirit that doesn't confess Christ came in the flesh is the son of God is antichrist. Hmm. So um, does God have mercy on people who don't know any better? Uh, yes, of course. Um, and he sends missionaries to them. Um, and where do they stand in judgment if they never heard a missionary or, you know, we don't know. I do know that God can speak to a person in their own soul on a deathbed in an instant. So those questions, I don't know, but I do know, um, as a child, I was in some, uh, different situations in what we call the big house, which is actually a term that a lot of indigenous people use for the, uh, for their house of worship. And they would have their funerals in there and they would do all of their bird songs and they would do all of their mourning. And there was demonic activity in there. As a little child, I got really attacked by spirits by being in those places. And it wasn't until I came to Christ that I was set free from spirits of fear, torment, depression. Um, throughout the native peoples, uh, there is a strong spirit of suicide and depression. That is not the fruit of the spirit. It is spiritual. And that's where people get off. You can go in there and have a white buffalo run in front of you and something tap you on the shoulder and, you know, have a spiritual experience. But that doesn't make it Christ. There, the spiritual, you know, that's the thing in America. We've gotten so left brain educated that, that the devil has gotten our country by causing us to believe that there is no spirituality and we even have a very cerebral christianity then you get some people that have a sense of spirituality and they get hooked into the occult because of that hunger maybe they've only seen dead formal religion in the church and they say man there's more than this and they get hooked into that but i'm telling you it's demonic if christ isn't exalted it's demonic plain amen. and simple amen praise god yeah yeah i totally i totally understand that and so i guess i'm i'm curious marty if you ever get to pick up that text um and see how he speaks to bringing jesus christ exalting christ in the sweat lodge because yeah. essentially the way that he describes it and the way that i also feel connected with it is that it's a tool um when used appropriately to connect with god and to connect with creator um well, yeah and 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 again uh, you know you were making me think of what paul said to uh to the to the men at Athens uh, on that great sermon he gave on Mars Hill in the book of Acts chapter 17. You know, the Bible says that they that are led of the spirit, right? Uh, they are the sons and daughters of God. And so the, the, the determining compass is the inner witness between you and, and, and the Lord. And if it exalts the Lord Jesus Christ, then, then that's between you and him. You know, again, I can't preach on one hand. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's not about a list of rules. Mm. And then on the other hand, come down on something that you allow in your own walk. But what I can do is say it has to be centralized and focused on the word of God. If you find in the word of God anything that might contradict 
your current experience with him, then you have to yield to the word of God. But that's between you and the spirit. Like we were talking about earlier, he leads us, he guides us by the word of God. Now, when Paul came into Athens, he came into the midst of the seat of democracy, Socrates, Plato, all this philosophy stuff, right? And he's, he's actually in, in the very seat where all spirituality was being expressed. And, and the way he talked about God in that sense was he came and, and he said to them this, he said in, in Acts 17, 22, he says, Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. And he said, you men of Athens, I perceive in all things that, that you're too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, which is really interesting if you think about it, right? Because he equates, he, he doesn't just say superstition. He does say that superstition, in their case, they, they kind of like worshipped everything just in case they were missing something, right? <laughs> Might as well catch all my bases, right? So he says, in that sense, you're, you're superstitious. Yet he saw a zeal in their heart because he says, as I passed by, I beheld your devotion. So he talks, he brings in the heart component of it. So he's not, you know, dogging them, right? I mean, he's basically saying you have a great quality about you because there's a component of you that's being led into wanting to express spirituality. And then he says, but I found an altar with this inscription. He said to the unknown God. And so then he says this, whom therefore you are ignorantly worshiping, that's who I want to talk to you about. And so he begins to deconstruct what it was that they were doing and, and why he was revealing to them that there was a pure and more uh, connected way, which he mm. goes on to reveal, right? And so, but he leads them there. And, and that's an act of the spirit. Look, <laughs> I was... I was 10 years old or, or younger, and I was playing on the beach. Nobody there. Beautiful day. I had, back in the old days, women used to wear pantyhose, right? And and they used to come in this thing called a, an egg or a Lego or legs or something. And they were pantyhose and an egg. And as a little kid, I imagined that egg was like a football. And I played for like two hours on the beach by myself in the imagination of my own mind the sound of the sand and, and the waves hitting the sand and all that beautiful day. Imagining myself, I was playing, I played an entire Super Bowl with this pantyhose egg, right? And I experienced God. I didn't know it until later when I got older and realized the cocoon I had been enveloped by in the simplest act of a child's imagination. But even though I, I'm not, so what I'm saying is you, you can feel and sense God in many and multiplying ways. But as we develop in him, what we begin to connect with thoroughly and most profoundly is through his word. As it becomes uh, component pieces of the spaces of my heart that currently, as, as uh, valid as they may be and as sincere as they may be, which he allows for a time, he then tries to bring us deeper into greater and more profound experiences with him, which is always anchored in his word. And so Paul put it this way. He said, all things are lawful for me, right? But all things are not expedient or good. 
He said, happy is the man whose heart condemns him not in the thing which he allows. And so that is always the guide. That is the compass. He will never allow his peace to abide within us consistently and over a, a long duration of time if he begins to reveal himself to me and maybe guide me in different ways. I have to yield to that leading. But he's, he's the ultimate gentleman in how he leads us into progressive revelation, right? So in that, in that sense, I, there's a good book my wife was recommending. It, it's written, I don't know if you ever heard of Johanna Michelson. I'm going to read your book, by the way. So next time we get together, if Christian has his back, uh, we'll read. I'm going to go get that book, Rescuing the Gospel. I love that title. <laughs> and I'm going to read it and, and see what you're talking about there. And, and this uh, Johanna Michelson, if you get a chance, you guys go out and get this book. Uh, it's called The Beautiful Side of Evil. I love that book. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's an excellent Right? So you've read it, right? It's crazy. It's honest, right? It's an honest look at, at many aspects, right? So, yeah, you know, um, you can find God under a tree. You can find God in multiple places. But ultimately, as we grow in him, we find his will, his purpose revealed in his word. And, and that has multiple ways of being expressed by the spirit of God to us. But we must be led and guided by his spirit. And, and the measuring, the barometer, that's the word I've been looking for, mm. is, the, is the peace in your heart. He will never allow you to have peace if you're not in his will or if you're doing something that that maybe he begins to say you shouldn't be doing this and that might be progressively revealed over time though right so just be obedient to the leading of the spirit anchored to the word and you'll never go wrong right thank you so much thank you and i'm going to read that book i'm looking forward to that <laughs> thank you debbie <laughs> yeah debbie thank you <laughs> I believe uh, Callan and Andrew are next. Hey, um, Marty, thank you so much for coming on and um, sharing the wisdom that the Lord has revealed to you awesome. um, with all of us. It's been um, really <laughs> affirming and encouraging and confirming a lot of things that we've been hearing from, uh, from the Lord as well. Um, one question uh, or something that I've observed that... Um, has been a very strange experience is seeing where we are, where I perceive we are in the world right now, in time right now, in creation, right in the Bible right now, yeah. you know, we're at the end of, end of time, the end of days. And um, as we have uh, adventured with the Holy Spirit the last several months around various churches and places and people, one thing that I commonly bump into is this contrasting experience between recognizing very clearly we're at the end everything is going exactly according to the way the word has revealed it in a way that I understand it so far I, mm -hmm. I know we're there and I see a generation of people who are you know in their 50s 60s 70s 80s they've lived a full life whether it's been with the Lord or not they've they've lived the course of their life out they've got a house family kids yeah. and there's this very interesting thing of i'm 29 right now and it's like there's no way i can recognize in my spirit now there's no way that i believe that i ever will have that life i've not been designed for it and so 
my question to you is, is based on your, your, your wisdom and, and the years you've spent walking with the Lord, where do you perceive that we are in those end times right now? Um, because I, I value, I, I, I value that you have much more wisdom in reading the Bible over the course of, I don't know how many years, but right. six months to a year in, and um, I just, I know that. What's your real question? My real question is. <laughs> no, it was good. I was good. No, it was good. What's no. my real question? My, my real question is, do you perceive that what the Lord's doing in our generation re is requiring us to like do anything the way it's been done before? Well, I, well, we were talking about that a little bit earlier, right? I think that we've reached precisely that time that the scripture talked about would, would come to pass. And it's the Laodicean age. It's, it's the seven churches of the book of Revelation. You get to the last bit of it. Uh, the seventh church is Laodicea. What was characteristic about it was it was rich and increased with goods and had the attitude that it was superior when it came to spirituality. But the interesting thing is, is you find Christ standing on the outside, knocking on the door, which means he's not in the church and they don't perceive it. <laughs> that's, that's literally been our experience. We go to these churches and we're like, hello, whoa, what are you guys doing in there? Okay, we got to go. You guys got to stop. You really got to stop. Have you read the Bible? They're like, what are you talking about? We've been walking with the Lord for 40 years. Or have you? Right. See, because this is the issue, right? I mean, you asked some really profound things there, but, but this is the issue. The church was always meant to be salt and light, right. an, an effective cleanser for the culture, not in a mm. religious sense, right? But in, in, in the sense of projecting and living out the gospel with, with the reflection of Christ which is an attraction to, to those around us. That's the gospel. But where the church went wrong over the last, especially the last 40 years, four decades, and this was predicted to happen, that it would begin to have a managed decline. It would become ecumenical. There would be no difference between it and the multiple various philosophies of the world. It would become simply something to choose or this or that. But there's always been only one way. This is the defining uh, you know, point of the gospel, Jesus himself. The thing that angers so many people that would get you and I a label as being intolerant, unflexible, non-inclusive. Well, I didn't say it. Jesus said what? He said, I am the way. I am. I'm not one of many ways. I'm not an optional way. I am the way. And then he says, I am the truth, not a variation of the truth, a component of the truth, or one of many truths. I am the exclusive truth, and I am the life, the life, life personified. No man, woman, child, whatever, comes to the Father, but through me. That's not, Marty, that's not you and your, and your precious... Uh, companion or all my brothers and sisters that's the bible that's what christ said about himself so this is the crux of the matter but what we saw in western christianity as it evolved over the millennia becoming denominational 
breaking from Roman Catholicism into Protestantism, spreading across the West, ultimately coming to rest in the, in the American continent, right? It's the ultimate expression of Western Christianity. And over the last couple hundred years, it evolved into what we see today, which is, <laughs> which is a pseudo representation at best of what's supposed to be Christianity, but it's not. And you have an entire generation of people that have been raised on preachers that are woefully and scripturally illiterate. Again, all of these are just, you know, descriptive terms to, to kind of lay out the picture of where we are right now. But what the prophet said is, is this precisely. You asked me where we are in the end. Understand that this paradigm, this situation had to occur and that we were alerted by the Bible by the prophets of old and the holy apostles, that when this younger generation, that's you guys, would begin to see this, that it was to be a trigger point. It was to be the, the proverbial guy in the foggy road saying the bridge is out, right? It's supposed to signal something to us. This is what Paul said. Let me read this to you in, in uh, <clears throat> Second Thessalonians. See, in the early church, after Jesus rose from the dead, they were all anticipating with excitement. This is it. He's coming back. Paul said, whoa, wait a minute, because there's a whole bunch of history that's got to unfold here. And then he goes on in chapter two and says, let me tell you what's going to happen. He says this, he says, now we beseech you, brothers, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him, that you do not be shaken in your mind or troubled by spirit or by word or a letter that I sent you or somebody forged, in other words that the day of Christ is at hand. Now he's writing that to the first century. He says, understand this. Don't let anybody deceive you. That day, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ back to the planet earth, it will not come. And here's the marker until there comes a falling away first. So what he was saying there, this will be the identifying mark. When you go to churches, when you see Christianity become anything, but what you see revealed in the scripture, understand that they have fallen away and that they have wow. done so by a conscious decision collectively and by their leadership to become wrapped up in the spirit of Babylon, if you will, the mother of harlots. Now listen, he then says that this would trigger something, that the man of sin, the Antichrist, would then be revealed. So the, they go hand in hand. So what we're witnessing right now, and I know this beyond the shadow of a doubt, we've entered those days because of the condition of Western Christianity, precisely. Where else do you go? This is the final frontier. This was it, right? This was supposed to be the, the city on a hill, the, the paradigm of virtue, right? And all that, the paradigm of virtue, all that stuff. We were supposed to be the, the ones that, that carried the banner of the gospel, but we've declined through our prosperity, our indulgence, we're soft. We've got a soft underbelly. You want to see a Navy SEAL of Christianity? Go over to North Korea, go to China, go to Africa, where they really have to stand for their faith. In America, we think we're being persecuted if we can't get a parking spot at the mall. I mean, oh, I mean or someone cuts me off on the freeway, you know, I bind you in Jesus. They have no concept. Of, of, of what, what, what's actually coming. But it's reflective of a prophetic time and a prophetic age. And Paul said the two had to go hand in hand. Ask yourself this last 2020 experience, all that's happened. Look what the church did. It repeated precisely what the Jews of the first century did. They wrapped themselves in the American flag. 
They put on a MAGA hat. They anchored themselves to a political uh, party and they called it Jesus. Now you can vote any way you want to vote, but our kingdom is not of this world. And they took the power of the ruling religious elite establishment and filtered it down into the even the smallest of churches and they equated the kingdom of heaven with the Republican Party. I won't even talk about the Democrats because they're insane. But, <laughs> but, but they marched themselves up to Washington. Now, if you've ever heard my teaching on, 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 um, on what Daniel revealed in Daniel chapters, uh, chapter 7. Yeah, with the eagle's feathers. and Yes. You know, yeah. He, yeah, he talked about the plucking of the eagle's wings, right? He talked about the lion uh, morphing into a lion with eagle's wings on it. And what he was actually having revealed to him was that, was that from, the, from the country of Great Britain, and I could spend hours going through all this, but it really represents Britain. That's the symbol of the lion. Yeah. It would morph into, uh, into America because America was born out of England, right? But a time would come, what Daniel saw, what he was accelerated into, is he saw what he, did, what he called in his vision, the great sea. And we know letting the Bible interpret the Bible, the great sea represents the peoples of the world, tribes, tongues, nations. He said there would come a time in the future when this lion eagle kingdom would be, would be moved upon and, and the eagle's wings would be plucked after a contention on the great sea. I think we entered into that paradigm in 2020. I think that what we saw in the releasing of, of this virus, this whatever you want to call it, which if you noticed one event after the other, after the other began to transpire. Yeah. And, and, and a move toward destabilizing the only really, uh, you know, free democratic society that was left on the face of the planet uh, was being moved in a direction that would be in its conclusion absorbed into the collective. If you know your history, you'll see things like 9-11 uh, yeah. 2001, right? Yeah. The, the entire uh, reality of the planet changed. We had the introduction of the of the police state, the uh, the merging of technology, AI, the surveillance state. Uh, you began to have uh, the NSA. You remember the whole Edward Snowden thing that exploded? Oh all yeah. Because sure. he began to reveal all the uh, Julian Assange releasing all these secret documents, telling us what they were doing. And what was happening was a framework began to be constructed around the planet. And what makes it so unique, unlike any time before it, is that whether you look at prophecy from the perspective of the old or the new, what you see in the old was it was, even though it was global in nature, it was global to the geographic territory of the known world of that time. What makes yeah. our times unique and different is we are global now. And for the first time in the history of the church, the book of Revelation and the things that are predicted there, the global state, global religion, a global economic system, all of it is right in front of us now. And so 2020 was about the plucking of the wings of the eagle and the great American state came down. But if you read there carefully what you see, and I can, let me just quote it to you from the, from the book of Daniel because it's really intense. And I think that's what we saw. And you know when we saw it? When they, when they stormed the Capitol on yep. January the 6th. Think about what happened. I called it the great delusion, the great magic trick, right? They yep. wanted you to look over here and they wanted to give you a narrative about what it is. But 
it was precisely at the time that evidence was about to be made known to the whole world of how the great fix was in, whether it was computer systems, mail-in, balloting, whatever you want to talk about. I'm talking politics now. I'm talking about the deconstruction of a nation. And so even though every attempt was made to bring these truths forward into the court systems, they were shut down at every level, whether it was the lower courts or even the Supreme Court who refused to hear the, the arguments for what was actually happening, the great steal, as they call it, right? Well, so it all culminates on January 6, 14 days before the inauguration. And suddenly what's going to happen on that day was the electors, if you remember, were supposed to be seated in the Congress. And that's when the actual official day of the selection of the presidency was going to happen. Mm -hmm. But according to the rules of the Constitution, now we're talking about high-level stuff here in biblical prophecy, but listen, according to the rules of the Constitution, if anybody objected to the seating of the electors of their state, then by constitutional law, they were supposed to break up into the Senate and into the Congress and enter into a debate for two hours in each chamber and reveal the evidence of why the election wasn't legit in any given state. Precisely wow. at the moment that that argument was being brought forth and, and they were about to break apart, they broke down the doors in the Capitol. And we now know when we look back in retrospect that there were some unsavory characters to say the least, I don't want to get anyone deplatformed, that mingled themselves in and led the crowd in and did violent acts. And so this shut down the debate. Everybody around the world was about to hear evidence but it was shut down at very high levels of deception and deceit in the power base of the ruling elite across the world. This is, this, <laughs> selling my hair is on fire, right? This is, is, a, is a deception of satanic order. This is absolutely undeniable if you dig and, and take the time to see. So what happens? They, they kick everybody out, they institute a curfew, right? The streets of Washington are empty, and precisely at the witching hour, if you will, and I don't say that by accident, because I yeah. believe this is a satanic occult ritual that took place. I know I sound insane, but I'm telling not you. At all. No. Not, yeah, not at all. Not at all. We are, we, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Everyone so they, on this call gets it. <laughs> so they come in at, at 3.49 a.m., and the gavel comes down and the eagle's wings were plucked and, and no evidence was heard. The great magic trick had occurred and what they always intended was to go forward in the next cycle and institute the great global reset. That's where we are right now. And what is that great global reset, right? It's the coming together of the framework, the intended purpose of satanic will, which God revealed to his holy apostle John. That in the last days, there would be a system emerge that would be both political, military, and spiritual, an ecumenical expression, right? And into this, this platform would emerge one, the son of perdition. Now, what Paul revealed, and this is answering your question, believe it or not, is that, is that when the falling away takes place, your generation and those that are alive now, it's to be a trigger, the spiritually sensitive who know the prophecies, who understand what's actually happening. It would alert them. And subsequently, it would cause us to search the scriptures deeper. This is why I was talking to you guys earlier that we need to go underground. What we're doing right now, we're going to have to develop the kind of spiritual quality and muscle that we can survive by the spirit, through the spirit, and of the spirit alone. 
I don't need some state-sanctioned preacher to tell me how to serve God. All I need is the Word of God and the direction of the Holy Spirit and putting Jesus first and foremost in my heart. We will collectively begin, whether I'm in Colorado or, or, or in the Congo or Uganda or wherever I am, we're all going to begin to collectively understand something because it's going to be imparted to us by the Spirit. And what is it we're going to understand? He's coming. We're going to know it. The wise, Daniel was told by the Archangel Gabriel, will understand. He said, none of the wicked, he was talking about the compromised within the collective body of the pseudo-church, will understand what's actually happening. But the wise will. So I think all of that taken together is, is proof text that we have entered into those days. There's so many other things I could share. But that's a strong uh, focal point to begin to understand these are serious times. When I talked to Brother Christian a few weeks ago and I talked to him about this, I said, look, when Paul went into Thessalonica and a hornet's nest was stirred up, the brothers knew how to get him out of town. They did it by night. They didn't have roads and headlamps and all that stuff. They didn't have cars or anything like that. But they had a network set up. They understood how to move and how to navigate the, themselves. This is the first church. Now, there's a principle of biblical interpretation that teaches us this, that what we see in the historical narrative of the Bible in the beginning is actually what's going to happen globally at the end. And so we have to take information from those stories in order to know how to navigate ourselves as prophecies being fulfilled. What we do know is that times are going to get to such a position that you're not going to be able to engage in the collective of the economy or any other creature comforts unless you enter into the system. It will be a defining choice that will have to be made. To the real Christian, he knows he can't make that choice. There is only one choice. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ, so you're left to yourself, right? So we have to prepare in advance of that. We have to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Be led of the Spirit, network together, understand how to connect by prayer, by fasting, by the word, by loving one another, and understanding with, a, with, a, with a, uh, a, an intense sobriety, spiritual sobriety, right? To shine the light on the times and wake up, <laughs> pay attention, right? Don't be ignorant. You know, you're 29, you're just reaching the beginning of the peak of your life, man. You're going to be an integral soldier in the things of Almighty God. All of you are. See, God is transcending the establishment. He's reaching to your generation. You know why? Because there's something on the inside of you. You've been there. You've done that. You've seen this. You've tried that. You've experienced this. You've heard that. And it's left us all wanting. But there's yeah. something, something greater that, that, that reaches beyond that into the hidden part of our spirit. It's calling us. It's not an it. It's the spirit of God. It's the creator. It's your time. It's the greatest time. The greatest moment in church history has come to our shores. And how we, do, how we respond to that uh, will determine <laughs> what we experience throughout the epochs and ages that are yet ahead for us forever. This is big picture stuff, right? Excellent question. Amazing. <laughs> Haley, I believe you were next. Um, honestly, my question is... It wasn't that deep. So after that, I'm kind of like forgot about it. But um, it no, was kind of, what did you say? No, I said, it's all right. There's no question that's not good. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, service level, you know, not that witchcraft. Right. So, um, yeah. 
It was about companionship and fornication and adultery and how does how do we clarify what the what the scriptures are defining as a marriage and you know frankly like sex between a man and a woman if they are married or aren't married or you know how how do you discern the scripture through that well we know from the word of god that if you're married and you have sex outside your marriage that's adultery if you're not married uh then that's fornication right um the issue of marriage is just that and why is it so important the bible takes it at a deep level it's not a surface question that's a deep question what he says about the child of God is this, is that the woman is a reflection of the church as a whole in miniature, right? And the man is a reflection of Christ. And this is a deep thought, right? So he literally reveals to us in the book of Ephesians that, that the marriage bond and the marriage union is a prophetic metaphor for those around us of Christ and his church. To understand it from that perspective, then, pushes me in the direction that the scriptures talks about, which is, I must be joined to my wife and my wife joined to me, and, and in the eyes of God, right? Now, if, if the law teaches me that I am not married unless I do it civilly and, and under the construct of, of the established law, which the Bible commands us to obey as long as it doesn't violate the of God, then I have to do that. But Paul takes it higher and says, look, you're actually retelling the story. And that's why he goes on to say, listen, you know, that's why a man leaves his father and mother, right? And he clings to his wife. He says, behold, I show you a mystery, but I speak to you of Christ and his church. Right. And, and so it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an outward validation of an inward truth. Mm-hmm. And if I have parameters and confines within the construct of my marriage, then I, then I also add the further com- component of commitment that has no out. And I, and I make that commitment voluntarily and symbolically in my union. But to take it levels deeper, I'm also telling the story, I'm the bride of Christ, he's my husband, or subsequently, I'm the husband, she's the bride of Christ. And, and we're telling a story to those around us and reflecting the glory of that. So it's, it's deeper than the issue of, of, of intimacy. Intimacy under the divine p- parameters of how God reveals it to us is celebrated at a deeper level than we can know outside of it, especially for men, yeah. you know, commitment levels. <laughs> you know, if I'm not willing to commit to you at that level, then how deep is my love really? Is it just purely platonic or is it just physical? Well, I love you, baby. You know I love you. I mean, however <laughs> you want to say it. But do I love you that I'm willing to lay down all my freedom, any out that I could possibly have? It's the highest expression of my love and added duration for you. I am forever saying, and I want everybody to know it, I have permanently joined myself to you. See, that's what Jesus did when he hung on the cross, right? He paid the dowry for me and you, and he stretched himself far and wide in order to embrace us. He gave all for us. And that is what the marriage story tells. And when viewed from that, it's something to be celebrated and rejoiced in. And it also, as a woman, I would think, uh, you know, from what I read in the scripture, I'm not a woman, but, you know, I see the joy of knowing this man loves me to that level, that he's willing to say, there ain't nobody. And I'm going to show you 
by joining myself to you legally and spiritually. I can talk spiritually all I want to, but if I make that commitment, then a whole new set of circumstances enter into it that basically is me making by my choice saying to you, you know what? I don't need no outs. And my absolute devotion to you is proof of this because I'm taking this step. I'm wedding myself to you. Our marriage to Christ is a contract. He entered into a marriage contract with us. And it's the same thing. When we, when we connect at that level, we're telling the story and the beautiful story of the gospel. I hope that helps. Yeah, I don't know if you can hear me, but I said the devil is a liar because my, my internet went completely off when you were speaking. <laughs> but I'll be able to watch the recording. All right. That's been happening to me all day. Every prayer call I've been on couldn't connect, so it is what it is. But yeah, I appreciate you, Brother Marty. And um, yeah, for real, like, I know I know it talks about in the Bible too, like, we as a people, we don't, we need a shepherd, an earthly shepherd, you know, and I feel like you you are that person for a lot of us and I'm just God bless just you. <laughs> we're all we're all one family, right? We're family. We're all, we're all one family. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> we have to stay connected too because there's so many, so much false prophets, so many false prophets out here. And yeah, I'm yeah. just really grateful for you, for real. Well, we love you, man. We love all of you with all our heart. Praise yeah, we're all very grateful for you, brother Marty. And everyone's very excited for this. Um Lene, did you still have a question? I saw you put your hand back down. No, you're good. Hi, Marty. Thank you okay. so much for coming today. Oh, amen. Uh, it's good to see you. <laughs> good to see you too. Uh, my question is very brief. Can uh, a new Christian convert that has the Holy Spirit be demonically oppressed? Well, absolutely. Um, there, there, there's two distinctions that need to be made and you use the word oppressed and not possessed right there's two different things here yes oppression can come this is one of the reasons that paul in ephesians chapter 6 he talks about our spirituality in the terms of we're engaged in a warfare he talks about putting on the whole armor of god he and, but he wants us to understand that the origin of our conflict or oppression comes from the realm of the spirit and and i don't have to explain to you you all because you you're spiritual people and so you know based on those terms that we're talking about multiple expressions within the multiple dimensions that exist and 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 the bible reveals that within the the framework of these multiple dimensions are real uh principalities powers rulers governments structure and that the origin of the attack that comes against us emanates from those positions. So Paul goes on to, and says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. To put it in modern terms, he's basically saying the, 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 the conflict you're experiencing isn't coming from the material world. That's the first thing that we need to understand as a Christian, that the origin of what it is, whether it's depression or whatever thing you want to go down the list or, or thoughts, you know, this is this is the realm that most people don't like to talk about, but it's those, he, he describes it as the fiery darts of the wicked or the wicked one. It's the penetration of the soul. It's it's I'm going along and all of a sudden, bam, I get hit with a with the most egregious thought or a memory of, of some tragic failure in my life or whatever it may be. I could go, you know, say a whole bunch of things. 
but <clears throat> this is the where the conflict is it's in the mind now the bible says that the weapons of our warfare or how we battle it um they're not carnal which is where we where we usually make the mistake right we 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 get anxious in our emotion to it and we try to respond to it out of a desperate sense of i just want this thing to go away and that manifests itself in so many different ways you know the weapons of my warfare aren't carnal though if i respond to a spiritual attack in a carnal way i remain oppressed but if i respond spirit to spirit taking the authority as the scripture reveals it to us in the name of jesus then i have the ability at that point and the authority given to me by christ and what he did on Calvary and the resurrection testifies to it, then it must yield. Now, I, I remember, <laughs> I've come out of some heavy-duty stuff. I mean, in my <laughs> been places you don't even want to talk about, seen things you don't even want to see anymore, right? But for a, the longest time, in the pursuit of God, I'd be in the middle of prayer, for example, and be bombarded with the w most wicked, vilest things, and, and it would bother me because I couldn't shake it and there was no peace. And then I began to understand something about prayer, which is a chief component. I began to actually tell God in my private, I'm, I'm really unloading here, right? So I began to actually tell him verbally, Father, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm, I'm brutally honest. There's a story in the garden when, when, when Adam sinned and, and remember what he did? He like tried to cover himself as he came to God. Uh, and the reason he did that was because he said he didn't want to come to God naked. But God wants us to come to him naked. And, and sometimes those acts of covering are so subtle that we don't even realize that's what we're doing. But once we cross that barrier and have a revelation of that at a very intricate part of our soul, then we begin to pray to him in brutal honesty. See, there's scriptures that talk about Jesus is the shepherd and the bishop of my soul. Oppression occurs in the soul. What is the soul? It's, it's, it's you. It's the sentient you. It's the, the mind, the will, the emotions. That's where the battleground is. The spirit can't be touched, but the soul is, is the playground of the enemy, right? And until we understand how that soul is to be protected and encased in the protective covering of heaven itself, we will not have victory. And so this is what I did. I began to understand by the leading of the Spirit that what I needed to do in my private time with God when these things were occurring, and instantly, whether I was in prayer or not, because this happens all the time, I began to just tell him. You know, and I don't want to give no examples because I'm a pretty base dude, right? Without the Lord, I'm just one knucklehead and a half, right? So I don't even want to go there. But suffice it to say, it was pretty bad. And so now I'm trying to seek God, right? And it's like, ah, you're a dog. Or, you know, remember when you did this? Or think about this? Or just the most horrible things. And so I didn't know what to do until I came across that scripture that I needed to put on the whole armor of God. And then I began to understand about prayer you know, crying out to him and being brutally honest with what I was going through and speaking to him exactly what I was thinking about. And then making a demand, not in an arrogant way, but in a positional legal way based on the word of God, where it says, Jesus is the shepherd of my soul. 
So I'm asking Jesus, protect me from this. And God, this is what I'm going through. And there's some, there was, there's, a, there's, it's almost like a, a, a cleansing that took place as I verbalized it. And as I verbalized it, it got less and less, and the strength of it got less and less. And the more I understood in those deeper, more sensitive ways of spiritual development, what was actually taking place in the warfare aspect of it, I became able, uh, more able and quicker to respond whenever it would return, because it does return. But the, the, the more that we grow and the more that we rely on the Spirit and, and the Lord and His Word, and the more that we're brutally honest with God, He already knows, right? It exposes the devil, it exposes the spirit that's messing with me, and it brings all the authority of heaven to bear in my situation, and I begin to be transformed and begin to be strengthened, and the oppression ultimately left, and it did. It doesn't mean that it won't come back. It might, it might not, but if it does, I don't, I don't have to be oppressed and, and, and weighed down and burdened by it any longer. I've learned how to overcome it. And that's also key with your brothers and sisters, you know, hooking up with them and telling them. Remember what the Bible says, confess your faults one to another. But you better know who you're confessing your faults to, right? Because, <laughs> you know, you don't just go telling everybody because before you know it, it'll be on the six o'clock news, right? So, <laughs> so I hope that helps. Yeah, amen. Awesome. Stella, what's your partner's name? Me? No. Oh, <laughs> hi i can't hear you guys you might have to hit the unmute still can't hear you if you want to drop your question in the in the chat you're welcome to um marty do you have any way uh to receive donations Oh, God, no. I just spend it on Big Macs or something anyway. I'm already keeping it. <laughs> okay. Send it, send, it to the, uh, send it to the poor or, or a brother and sister you know has need of, you know. Um, give it to them. I think the church has been corrupted by too much money. I understand the desire to give, yeah. but give it where it's needed most. Send it to the missionaries. Send it to the causes that God leads you to. Freely we've received, right? So freely we give. Amen. Um, but, but we always remember those that are less fortunate than us and that have need, you know? Yeah. So give to them. But you do it, like Jesus said, you give someone a cup of cold water, even a little child in my name, you, you'll be blessed, right? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. No, I appreciate the thought, but no, I, I don't want that responsibility. I've been okay. around time ministry too much. I, <laughs> it's just, sure. Yeah. But, but praise the Lord for that and thank you for that. But give it to where your heart, you know, wants you to give. Trust your heart. Amen. Um, you guys, you guys still having trouble? Try ch talking now. No. Are you able to put it in the chat? All right, there we go. You're connecting. Okay, cool. Talk. <laughs> No. All right. Anyone else have uh, questions? Yeah, I, I have a question. Go for it. I have a question. Uh, well, first and foremost, thank you again, as everyone, yeah, everyone here is very, very thankful for all you guys are doing. I have a question regarding baptisms. So 
recently uh, I've came back to to the Lord. He's he's like drawing me to Him again, Spirit and Truth. So praise the Lord for that. Amen. But I've been seeking and, and trying to find uh, a place to get baptized. But as I'm reading the Word, I read two different things. One said getting baptized in the name of the the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and one in the name of Jesus Christ. So I'm just asking, which one is the correct way? Well, either one will do, right? I mean, okay. Jesus, Jesus is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in one, right? So when you when you call upon his name, you're actually calling upon all three. You know, whole denominations have fought over this, right? It's only in the name of Jesus. And then others say, ah, oh, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, but the point is, right, get baptized, yeah. right? And what I like okay. about it, if you remember uh, Philip, that story about Philip and the Ethiopian, and uh, you can read it in the book of Acts, he goes and he sees this guy who, had, who was reading out of the book of Isaiah, and he's from Ethiopia, and he didn't know what he was reading. He, he was reading, but he didn't understand it. So Philip explained it to them, to him, and, and, and in that explanation, he talked to him about the Lord. He got saved, and he said, do you want to get baptized? Well, he baptized him right there in the ocean, right, right in the ocean, man. So whether it's a baptismal tank, your neighborhood pool, or the ocean, the point is get baptized. And really all you're doing is telling the story, right, of your old life being plunged uh, into a form of death, right? You've died to your old self. And when you come up, you're washed and cleansed, and you come up into your new life of expression with Christ. But either one will do, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or the name of Jesus. It's all the same. Awesome. Thank you so much. Amen, bro. All Amen. right. Round two. <laughs> okay can you hear us yeah what's your partner's name okay this is adam hi, hi adam nice to meet you nice to meet you guys too all right hi. he had a question go for it um yeah uh brother Mario, i just want to say thank you for taking the, your time and answering all of our questions and everything yeah, yeah. um yeah. my moment. question my question is um so earlier you mentioned how there was kind of there's no real gray area um you're either you know, a follower, a child of Jesus or um, a child of Satan. And um, my, my parents um, are not believers in, in any way whatsoever. Um, so I was just kind of wondering um, what kind of a chance at um, some kind of salvation would, will non-believers have, or when Jesus comes back, if it's like a, do they get an, the opportunity or is it like if they don't start to make those changes in their lives now they lose that chance altogether right well that depends like we talked about earlier on on to what extent they've actually heard the gospel right and and what we talked about in romans chapter one is what what the apostle paul revealed let's say you're a, a bushman in in the congo or some amazonian indian in in brazil and you've never had the opportunity to hear the gospel Romans chapter one, Paul talks about a general revelation that all humanity has, and that's the creation itself, the universe and all its magnificence, you know, the, the planetary systems, the, the, uh, the trillion galaxies that are out there on and on, and the planet Earth itself, all of it is an expression of the creator. That's what Paul said. And so whether a man has ever heard the gospel or not will not be the, the defining measure if he can honestly say, I, I didn't know. Because what he will be then confronted with is, is what did he do with the information that was made available to every person who's ever walked the face of the planet? Whether you chose to see it or not uh, is up to you. 
if you completely live in a horizontal aspect, right? All I think about is what's immediately in front of me. That's your choice. And if you refuse to look up or, or to look at the beauty of creation itself, then, then you will be judged based on that fact alone. You can't say, I didn't know that God never told me he existed. He did. You just chose not to see it. So Paul goes on to say, you will then be judged based on your conscience. Every man has it. My, my family and I, we've traveled to every continent of the world. And, and I've, I've seen people all over the world, whether it's China, Africa, South Central America, or Europe, wherever you want to go. And, and I've, I've noticed one thing about every person, poor, rich, or in between. Every single person has that line of conscience. Who put that there? You know, it might be different for you than it is for me, but we all have that line where should I do this or not do that? And so Paul goes on to lay forth the argument that if you've never heard the gospel and, and you stand before God on that day, as the scripture reveals, that you will then be judged by, by what you did with the internal witness that God has given every human being, that, that conscience line, right? So that will be the determining factor. But if you've heard the gospel and you reject it, then to be brutally honest, what the scripture says is you have no opportunity at that point. This is, but then there's other opportunities as well. Think about, the, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this story. When Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land, they came up against Jericho, the very first city they came to, the big walls of Jericho. I don't know if you ever heard that story where they blew trumpets and the walls came down and they, they took the city. Well, there's a story in there about a, about a prostitute named Rahab, right? Before they went and took the city, they sent spies into the city and they heard they were there and they tried to come get them and they went to Rahab's house and she hid them. And, and then as they were leaving, she said, when you guys take over this city, she goes, do me a favor, promise me you won't, you won't hurt me. They said, if you don't tell them where we're going and, and who we are and let us escape, when we come to take the city, everybody that you bring into your house, your loved ones, your family and all that uh, will be saved, we'll spare you. If they're outside the house, too bad. We were not accountable for them. And he says, the, the marker will be, I want you to hang a red rope from your window. Well, that red rope is a type of salvation. It was a metaphor for a future truth. And, and that red rope represents the blood of Jesus Christ. So the one person who hung the red rope from the window, a prostitute nonetheless, not that she's any worse than anyone else, that's just who she's described as being, she gathered her family. And, and everyone she gathered into her house weren't saved by merit, but were saved by her obedience to the commandments that were given to her of hanging the red rope. So I said all that to say this, that there are avenues that the Bible seems to indicate that if our loved ones don't know him, that God loves you so much that if you'll pray for them and claim them for his kingdom, that he will show them mercy, not because they merit it, but because he loves you and, and, and their salvation will be based and merited upon your belief for their salvation. He will answer your prayer. When the jailer came in to take Paul out of the dungeon after the great earthquake that freaked him out, Paul, Paul told him, he said, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your whole house will be saved. So there are, there's, there's hope and avenues there that even if we have these absolutely, you know, uh, rock hard foreheaded kind of people that we can't get through, 
We love them enough and we know more than them. So we pray for them. And in the economy of God, according to the word of God, they will be saved. So I hope that helps. Yes, it did. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'd like to ask on that same note, Marty, um, there is like a belief within the church and I haven't studied this too much. uh, So I'd love to hear your perspective theologically. Uh, Something about, you know, rapture being within after the three and a half years of tribulation. And then those whom are left on the earth essentially are given that the rest of that, the, the tribulation period to repent upon seeing the mighty work of God, taking his people out and things of this nature. Could you speak on that? Well, that's a that's a grand theological question, and I think one of the greatest deceptions that's ever been propagated on on the 20th and 21st century, hmm. the origin of of the rapture, which is a true thing, because Paul says that uh, the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven, right, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. Yeah. It says the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and have survived shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort you one another with these words. So he teaches a catching away. The issue has been the timing of it. <clears throat> the pre-tribulation rapture teaches that we're not going to have to go through anything, that God's going to come and take the church off the earth in secret, and then we're going to be plunged into a seven-year tribulation period, which gives way to a three-and-a-half-year great tribulation period. And we'll be up in heaven having dinner for seven years. At the end of seven years, we'll come back with Jesus. So they teach a secret coming of the Lord and then a second coming of the Lord. That's not scriptural. That's not what the scripture teaches. It's a uniquely Western concept of the coming of the Lord. And and it's really arrogant if you think about it. We're the most prosperous nation on the face of the earth. We make up 5% of the world's population here in America. We consume 95% of the world's goods. We're absolutely a consumer society. We're soft. And now we want to create a doctrine that teaches us we ain't going to have to go through anything. We view ourselves in the economy of the establishment church in this country as the only church on the face of the earth. But that's not true. Ask the Chinese if they think they're going through tribulation right now. Ask your brothers and sisters in Africa or the Middle East, are they up under scrutiny and and trial and testing and tribulation right now? I I tell you from experience, unequivocally, they'll tell you yes. So the issue is timing, right? Is it the beginning, the middle, or the end? Well, if you get into the book of Revelation, and and that's a whole other night, we could probably get into it if you want to talk about it. But there's, there's three things that are revealed in the book of Revelation. They're known as seven seals seven trumpets, seven vials, and then three woes that represent the final wrath of God upon the earth. Now, what the scripture teaches is that we are not appointed to experience the wrath of God. That's the ultimate judgment of God on creation. But what Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation, but never fear, I've overcome the world. And so what we are going to see and what is not really welcomed is the idea that we're going to have to endure anything. But if you read Revelation 13, you'll see right there, he goes to make war with the saints. Herein is the faith and the patience of the saints. There is an apportioned trial that is just ahead of us, and we better start preparing for it, mentally speaking, spiritually speaking. It is coming. It's already begun. You're going to see that more and more as we go forward. But again, back to the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven vials. If you read 
in the scripture, what you will see is there is an indication that the church is removed in between the sixth and the seventh seal, or in between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, in between the sixth and the seventh vial. The seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh vial all represent the wrath of God. So it's in between there and the actual outpouring of the wrath of God that he comes to rescue his church. It's known as the final day, the resurrection from the dead. That's why Paul taught it that way. He said those who that, that, uh, that have died will rise and we will rise collectively with them. There's only one resurrection day. And the book of Revelation teaches, blessed is he that has part in the first resurrection. There is a second resurrection that the Bible teaches, which we could go into at another date, but it is the resurrection of, of all of history and all of creation. And then after that, the Bible appears to be indicating that's when there's a new age, a new heaven, a new earth, new heavens, new dimensions, wherein he takes his collective body into the far-flung future, which has no measuring stick, right? It's the ages and ages without end without the capacity for sin, defilement, decay, or corruption. That's, what's, that's what this is all about. It's the extraction of death and corruption. It's the death question, the sin question, the decay question. The material universe was created as a container to excise or to extract from the eternal realm into a temporary position of time and space, that very origin of death and destruction. That's why the Bible talks about the universe itself is going to be folded up like a blanket, right? Like a garment, and it will be no more. And they'll be emerging from that a whole new expression of creative acts, ages without end, in the most magnificent display of the wisdom and the understanding and the beauty of our God, void of the possibility of rebellion. That's reserved for the children of God. So yeah, the rapture is in between the sixth and the seventh trumpet seal and vile sometime before the wrath of God, but near the end of the great tribulation. And isn't there some sort of scriptural indication of like there being, you know, a sort of like great repentance in the people that are left between the, the time of the the rapture and the final wrath? Or Well, the way I read it is that, and I'm, let me just quote the scripture to you and you tell me what you think, because what it seems to be indicating is once that the, the mark of the beast is instituted and all that kind of stuff, there's only two there's only two people left it's the church and the the children of the devil and uh, that's what it says here <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was given unto him to make war with the saints revelation 13 7 and to overcome them and power was given to him over all kindreds tongues nations and earth all is all right and all that, listen all that dwell upon the earth will worship him. It's talking about the Antichrist. But it then goes on to say, all except for those whose names are written in the book of life of the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. If any man has an ear to hear, let him hear. And then he goes on to talk about the persecution. He that leads into captivity will go into captivity. He that kills with the sword will be killed with the sword. And then he, he interjects this to us. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So what is he saying? It appears to be that once this time arrives, that's it. There is no more opportunity. Why? Because you take the mark and you're forever and permanently rejecting God. It's the delusion, right? But there's those whose name, and check that out if you think about it and think about it through it. 
that those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life were written there before the foundation of the cosmos. So the implications of that. But so what he says here, that and we'll get into that someday, but listen, what he says here is that then a persecution will come because everyone will be identifiable. There won't be any wondering who loves God, right? It's going to be readily known, and, and the attack will come for a brief, short period. It's not going to be these long, drawn-out years. It's just going to be quick and short. And that's why John says it's going to be requiring faith and patience. You're going to have yourself anchored to the Word of God. You're going to have to rely on the Spirit of God, and you're going to, you're going to be seeing it through. This is where, where the heat of the matter comes to it, right? So I hope that helps. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how are you doing on time, Marty? I think we could probably go now, if that's okay. Is that all right with you guys? Yeah. I have a question, please. Okay, well, I'll go ahead. <laughs> so, first of all, I mean, you're so awesome. I, oh, I, know, awesome. I have a question. I wish you were like my grandfather or something. <laughs> all one family in Christ, so that's super cool. I'll be your grandfather. <laughs> I'm only 39, my goodness, man. I'm teasing you. Okay. Um, <laughs> There is something that I really appreciate about immature uh, marriage in Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, like like a couple who both people worship God and they have that intimacy, not only in marriage, but also with God. And I happen to be in a marriage with somebody who wanted to believe and feel God. But unfortunately, we had an experience uh, with a group of religious people that were trying to separate us and that scar wow. him yeah that scar him so deeply that he doesn't understand the concept or what I have seen or like basically we're not necessarily in the same level spiritually yeah. and it's been really difficult to kind of like walk my walk or like fight that battle in the spirit like i'm talking we get spiritually attacked in dreams like the other night i woke up with scratches and he and his back like crazy stuff and i fight these things but um you know i always declare as for me in my house we will serve the lord and sometimes when he's sleeping i'm like <laughs> trying to pray over my house i look crazy you know like i look crazy um so I guess my question with this con context is if you have ever had to fight for your marriage at some point spiritually, or if you have an advice for somebody who's trying to fight for their marriage, because if there is something that really saddens me and it breaks my heart yeah, to, you know, be married and, oh my God, hold on. No, it's okay. It's just we're one so it saddens me to almost have to leave him to god you know because i love god and i trust god and i know that he will come around by the same reason that you told i think it was estella's partner uh you know as her parents will come around because god gives grace to those who blessed us or helped us and you know my husband has done that greatly for me yes but i think i just need like encouragement from like a mature couple in god you know yeah. so yeah. I'll give you a little answer there and then I'll let my wife tell you some things, but
you know, hearing your voice and hearing your desire for the things of God, uh, I wouldn't be here today talking to you if it wasn't for, for my wife, you know, who stood uh, when my soul was darkest, when my heart was broken, but she stood for me. It's the great act of love that we surrender our will to the will of God and, and, and believe for something that's outside of ourselves. how much more our marriage, because you're permanently joined together by God. Peter talked about that the wife's godly example and her persistent walk in front of her husband, that the Holy Spirit comes there. And, and whether you realize it or not, in the quietness of your simple example and your consecration to God, he sees it. And in the aloneness of the soul of a man, I'm talking as a man, that begins to work on him. All that other stuff aside, he can't deny, my wife is a woman of God. And the power of love breaks through the walls between me and, and my ability to want to feel. I don't want to go there because I don't want to be hurt as a man, right? But the overwhelming godliness of my wife, her prayers, her love, it's almost like the battering ram of heaven that, that breaks down all the hedges that I've placed between me and the emotions of repentance and brokenness before God. That's the kind of power that you have in Christ. And he's faithful to answer those prayers. It may take a long time. It, may, it might not. But it will happen. Because... I can hear you. <laughs> wow. Did he left? Yeah, I don't know what happened. Uh, <laughs> Let me text him really quick. I'm shaking. My leg is like. <laughs> I think that message was meant for more than one of us for real. So absolutely. Stay on. We're gonna get him back. <laughs> Give it a few moments and we can all cry in the meantime. I feel like that was God that kicked him off. <laughs> Seriously, that was such a special, uh, I don't even know what to say. The silence speaks. There he is. Start your video. We're back. <laughs> I cut off at a very tender moment. You had us all crying. <laughs> I was like, no, where did it go? <laughs> so there's no hope. No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs>
Now I want I want my wife to tell you some things too, and then and then uh, and see what she says to you too. But uh, it's gonna be all right. Could you come and talk to her for a second here, Deb? Uh, hi again. Hello. What was your name? Muddy. Um, did I do that? No, okay. no, it's not you. <laughs> so um, what I really want to do is pray with you. Can I do that? Yeah. Could you pray for all of us? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you all help me pray for her? And then we'll see what the Lord does. Absolutely. Lord, we just lift up our precious sister, Lord, and her heart is so tender and so transparent, Father. And she's just crying out to you. And I just thank you for this moment that you arranged for her because you've been hearing her heart cries and her desperation, Lord. And I thank you that you want her to know that she's not alone. Oh, mighty God, you have seen her stand. You've seen her stand alone and you've seen her lift her heart to heaven. And I thank you, mighty God, that you are going to answer her in a mighty way. And now we just plead the blood of Jesus over our sister and her husband and their marriage. And I thank you, Lord, that she is looking to your word and she's not being moved by the voices of people or religion, but she's reaching for your highest. She uh, made a commitment, he made a commitment and they're one in you. And now Lord, you, you can move on her behalf because she's standing on your word and she knows it's your desire that they stay married. So we come together in agreement with her and we come against every foul and demonic spirit that is tormenting them in their marriage. She is washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and she is married to Jesus, the King of Kings. And you cannot have your way in her home or in her marriage. We just rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. We stand against you wherever you're coming from, the occult or whatever the background is, it doesn't matter. In the name of Jesus, our sister will have victory. And now, Lord, I'm praying that you will bring sincere Christians around her who can stand with her and fight with her and not against her. In the name of Jesus, we're asking you to open up the floodgates in her husband's soul and reveal yourself to him, Lord. Whatever it is that's standing in his life against you, that you would so overwhelm it with your love and your light and your power that it will be washed away in a tide of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord God. And we look to hear a great report. Thank you, Lord God. We stand on your word. We thank you that you love marriage. And we thank you that you've given her faith and strength, Father. Lord, I pray for everyone that's been in this meeting, Lord. All the questions, Lord. All the heart cries to you, Father. All the wanderings. Lord, I thank you that you're so big, Father that there's nothing off the charts for you. There, there's nothing that's beyond you that, that reaches past your understanding and that you can answer every heart cry, even beyond what Marty has done today, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to each one of these in a mighty way and that anything, Lord, that is against your spirit and your will for them, that you yourself by your Holy Spirit and your word will bring correction to it. And everything that's good and mighty and powerful that you want each of them to have, Lord, we just pray over them, Lord, and we ask you to bless them. We ask you to water the seeds of the word in their heart. We ask that the river of life of the Holy Ghost would well up in each one of them. 
Lord, that they would not have to look to the left, to the right, to the occult, to this, to that, but that they would find that there is a river of living water coming from their very soul in the name of Jesus Christ as they pursue you. Thank you for Christian and this platform that he has and that he shares. I just ask that it would grow. I just ask that you'd anoint him in a greater way, Lord God, greater wisdom, greater power in your word and in the spirit and continue to draw hungry souls, Father God, to drink from the water yeah. and continue to give him uh, wise ideas, Lord God, and light and revelation uh, for your people. And I just thank you for this opportunity for your people to come together, Lord. And I just thank you for this young generation. And yeah. I ask you to raise them up in a mighty way, Lord, that they would be your evangelists, Lord, be it through technology or on foot or where they work or where they live, Lord that their relatives would be drawn to the light, that there would be a mighty move of God in the spirit, Father God, in what you're doing this hour, in Jesus' mighty holy name. Amen. 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 Thank, you so, Thank you so much, Debbie. Can we call her Sister Dudette, Debbie? Yeah. Sister Dudette. <laughs> 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 brother dude was michael's idea brother dude marty so it kind of ended up being funny but uh, hopefully it's not too obnoxious but i think we're all kind of in love with it <laughs> <laughs> well brother dude it's been a honor it's been it's been our privilege and honor we look forward to hopefully doing it again whenever you want uh, i think we'll do it whenever you're open to it <laughs> be careful what you what you offer <laughs> once a week or whatever you let me know and uh, i'll put it in my calendar and we can do that i just really feel by the presence of the lord that that you guys that are connected here tonight and and have been over the last several weeks with christian and as a community you're the first to know something and whether you have been able to give voice to it or definition to it don't look at yourselves at where you're at right now, but where you're going to be. We're all in different places, but you're the first to know something. And, and that is that God is reaching your generation. This, these, are the, these are the times that, that history marks. The, these very stories that we read in the scripture, um, you're writing it. If you notice the book of Acts, it never ends. It just ends with Paul in a house preaching the gospel, right? <laughs> you're writing other chapters to the book of Acts right now. You're the most privileged and spoken of generation in all the prophets. He said he would send the spirit of Elijah on your generation, and that's what I see before me. So take heart, join together, pray together, love one another, show this world what the real church is, be an example, and turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children by the light you let shine through you. I look forward to seeing you next time. And Christian will connect us all together. I love you all, and we bless you and your households and your families. And uh, you have a wonderful week, and be good to each other. Amen? Amen. We love you too, Brother Marty. Amen. God bless you. Jesus, say the name.
ti su nombre Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus.